The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What military secrets has the U.S. government hid from its citizens and from the rest of the world? What information and operations have been declassified? What has been leaked? Getting into that today and looking at a fair share of formerly classified or at least covered up incidents in the non-military sector as well. We're here. We might as well look around. Can you trust the government? Does the government lie to you? Are you, uh, you know, are, are a lot of conspiracy theorists maybe a little less crazy than I once thought? This week's suck is going to haunt me. It might have changed me. I might be a little bit more wackadoodle than I was last week. Today, we're going to go over what types of information can become classified, what the levels of classification mean. We'll define a lot of secret information terminology, and we'll also dig into a lot of former secrets, like when the U.S. government snuck over former Nazi scientists to work on rockets and weapons, or when the CIA framed innocent people for murders in Italy to destabilize communist dissidents, or that one time the CIA tried to turn a cat into a cyborg spy. Uh-huh. We'll go over some Vietnam cover-ups. We'll look into some super shady secret experiments done on American soil on unknowing American citizens by members of their own government. Trust no one. That is how you may feel by the time you are done absorbing the formerly hidden and often disturbing truth nuggets. I'm sneaking into your ear mine tunnels today on this tinfoil hat wearing edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Meat Sacks. It is time for Time Suck. Sneak on into the cult of the curious before the CIA shuts it all down and assassinates me and makes it look like an accident and then you don't know the truth for 25 years. It can happen! That's what I learned doing the research this week. It can happen. Hail Nimrod. May he protect us all. Hail Lucifina. Praise Bojangles. Be sued by the glory of Triple M. Let Michael motherfucking McDonald serenade some joy back into your heart whenever you feel low. I'm Dan Cummins, a master sucker, guy who is probably on more government watch lists. Uh, thanks to this week's topic, and you are listening to Time Suck. 
Thanks for the uh, additional kind ratings and reviews lately. Man, it helps us grow. Uh, it's so nice to see those uh, continually popping on uh, iTunes and other places. Thanks for checking out and leaving ratings and reviews on the weekly Paranormal Horror Podcast I do as well with the Queen of the Suck, Scared to Death, Tuesday nights, just before midnight Pacific time. We've been doing that for uh, for a little while now. Got, got a little bit of a catalog growing. It's been so fun. Uh, new stand-up tour is here. The Toxic Thoughts Tour starts this weekend in Sacramento, January 23rd to the 25th. Shows are packing out. Appreciate that. Thanks for scooping up tickets. Then I'm off to Vegas, bringing the fam to Sin City like a good dad. Shows at Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club, Super Bowl weekend. And then it's one show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. One show at the Improv in Washington, D.C. A full weekend at the Rec Room in Huntington Beach, California for Valentine's Day weekend. Then I head to St. Louis and Salt Lake City. Tickets selling real fast for those shows. And that's just the beginning. All the tour dates are up at dancummins.tv. And you can follow me to Instagram too, uh, at dancummins.comedy if you want to you know, be kept abreast of tour happenings and uh, and a lot of just nonsense I like to post on there. I've been having a lot of fun with the IG. That's what, that's what I call it now because I'm, I'm cool. I get it. I get it. I'm a cool kid. I'm one of the, I'm one of the kids. Uh, quick question. Do you guys and gals like uh, freezing your nuts and or your lady nuts off when it's cold out? Do you, do you like having rock hard scared nipples when you're just out walking about? Me neither. You know it's a good cure for that? A super cool new sweatshirt. We got a new meat sack sweatshirt in the new merch store at badmagicmerch.com. It's an eight-ounce custom cut-and-sew dye sublimation sweatshirt. Fits true to size. Says meat sack on the front. It's navy and gold. And it's made out of nothing but Baphomet's ball sack, which is surprisingly soft. It's the first time we've used demon skin uh, with our merch. And I got to say, it feels nice. It feels powerful. It feels naughty. Makes me think of Lucifina. <laughs> you know, check it out. Uh, thanks again for helping us donate $4,000 this month to the Tim Tebow Foundation's Night to Shine Night to Shine is a special prom night for, for kids with special needs age 14 and older. To find out more, go to timtebowfoundation.org. Night to Shine host information. Right, there's a link in the episode description. That was a interesting to go from Baphomet to Tim Tebow. Okay, enough announcements. Now turn your speakers down. Only whisper for the next two hours or so. Keep it quiet. We're going to get top secret. It's, it's time for declassified military documents. For this installment of this sweet, sweet suck, for this edition of the Thought Canal fuckery, we have an absolute cornucopia of declassified military documents and, and, and some non-military documents that, you know, to share with you. As we began researching this, it became very clear that one of the more popular ways of declassifying documents is to, well, leak them. At that point, they may not be officially declassified, but, uh, you know, we're, we're counting it. So now we're going to get to peek behind the top secret military industrial complex curtain there's, there's uh, you know, uh, check out what, they, uh, what they're hiding in their, in their file cabinets. Uh, millions of documents have been either leaked or released through normal channels over the years. And here at Time Suck, we've actually uh, already covered a number of them. So I'm going to get that out of the way up here at the front of this suck. Uh, we have two sucks on UFOs that cover declassified projects like Project Grudge, Project Bluebird, uh, a number of military operations that looked into, uh, you know, what are now called Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Programs. Uh, you can check out a resuck episodes 99. That's Area 51 Secret Weapons Program or Alien Experimentation. And you can also go back to bonus suck number two, way back, Alien Extravaganza. Uh, Roswell, Area 51, UFOs, uh, you know, a lot, lot, lot of stuff to dig in, uh, declassified type stuff. You can dig into no sucks. Uh, we've also already covered a few false flags that were uncovered via declassified documents. In the 9-11 suck, that's suck number 52, 
We investigated Operation Northwoods a bit, at least uh, at least talked about it somewhat. That's a conspiracy to kill Americans on American soil, uh, to gain public support for invading Cuba. That was an idea that was proposed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, but not seriously considered by President Kennedy. At least that's what the truth seems to be. Pretty fucked up that it was even considered by anyone in our government, but I'm not surprised. The U.S. has done a lot of uh, great, great things, but we've also done a lot of shitty things as well. Definitely have a, a fair share of skeletons in the closet. Uh, as you'll find out today, we also delved into the Gulf of Tonkin incident and our more recent Vietnam suck, suck 139. This is where we learned that the start of Vietnam uh, did not happen as far as the Vietnam uh, conflicts, uh, you know, U.S. involvement did not happen in the way it was sold by the U.S. military to the rest of the world. The U.S. government tricked John Q. Public into thinking we had to attack the North Vietnamese because they had attacked us on August 4th, 1964, but it didn't actually play out, uh, you know, like the way things were originally portrayed. Uh, certain story elements were manufactured to make the North Vietnamese seem a lot more hostile than they actually were towards the U.S. Yeah, definitely a bit of a false flag operation there. Both Northwoods and the Gulf of Tonkin showed that the U.S. government has historically been capable of staging attacks to justify military confrontations. High-ranking U.S. military officers were willing to kill American citizens on American soil or manipulatively uh, exaggerate enemy aggression as part of some end-justifies-the-means-cold-war-victory strategy. Uh, Pizzagate also has its roots in some declassified or leaked material. We won't go over that here today either since we dedicated an entire suck to it. Uh, if you'll recall, that really happened. High-ranking politicians were, in fact, emailing each other about how they wanted to rape kids in cages at a local pizza place after grabbing a few meat lovers and Hawaiian slices, and they got away with it! No, that's not what I found in that suck. Uh, I think that suck number 64 pissed off more listeners than any other single episode uh, I've thought about Pizzagate since, and I still think high-ranking politicians keeping kids in cages in the basement of a D.C. pizza, pizza joint that doesn't have a basement is, is complete and utter nonsense. But I'm open to a lot more things outside of that after uh, the research this week. One of the most classified areas has been America's development of uh, nuclear weapons. Still, sometimes we'd rather push that button than say that word. But I'm, but I'm not going to be pushing all the time because i got to say it too many times today on this suck. And I'm just going to say it how my mouth wants to say it. Uh, we, we did cover a huge now declassified nuclear project, the Manhattan Project, in Suck 164. There are still plenty of other secret nuke projects to suck on today, like Project Iceworm. And that one time, the U.S. military almost nuked the shit out of North Carolina. True story. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Another really important declassified document category that we'll be covering today that we haven't covered here is, uh, is what I like to call a like government overreach. This includes infuriating subjects like the uh, Tuskegee syphilis study, the NSA spying on all Americans, and a number of unethical tests done on the public. Uh, this subject would also include the fascinating top secret project MKUltra, but we already sucked MKUltra way back in bonus uh, number eight. So if you're new to the suck and this topic brought you here, well, oh boy, woo doggy. So there's a whole bunch of shit that might float your conspiracy boat that we've already talked about. So you got, you got hours of stuff to dig into. Uh, lots of stuff we are digging into today, like the My Lai massacre in Vietnam, some Cold War space race shit, so much more. Uh, first, let's get let's get familiar with the basic concept of classified and declassified military documents. What even is classified information? In the U.S., information is called classified if it has been assigned to one of three levels: uh, confidential, secret, or get the fuck out of here before I punch your mom in the neck, uh, aka top secret. 
Uh, information that is not given one of these labels is called unclassified information. The term declassified is used for information that has had its classification removed. And downgraded refers to information that has been assigned a lower classification level, but is still classified. Uh, the United States government classifies information according to the degree which uh, the unauthorized disclosure would damage national security. Information is also classified if the Illuminati feels like keeping it hidden, uh, you know, would further progress, uh, you know, plans for the eventual new world takeover uh, of every nation, bringing about long-held Zionist goals of Gentile subjugation and the creation of a global slave class that will include everyone but our elite reptilian masters. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, that, that last part wasn't right. Sorry, I, I, I thought it was David Icke for a second. Hiding in plain sight. I'm good now, I think. Hopefully I got that nonsense out of my system for a bit. Uh, who determines all these levels of classification? Carl Weathers does. Wake the fuck up. What do you think Action Jackson been doing the last uh, 20 plus years after he stopped making some of the best movies of all time like Rocky, Predator, Happy Gilmore, and Action Jackson? He's been deciding what the U.S. government and military information, uh, you know, what's information stays secret, what gets released to the public. And, and if you don't, uh, you know, know that, well, you ain't nothing but a bum. Uh, that, of course, is not exactly true. It's not even the ballpark of true. Uh, the president of the U.S. of F&A decides it for the most part. Since all federal departments are part of the executive branch, the classification system is governed by executive order. Rather than by law, typically each president will issue a new executive order, either tightening classification or loosening it. Uh, the Clinton administration made a major change in the United States government's classification system by issuing an executive order that for the first time allowed all acting and former presidents and their spouses to be immune from, from prosecution uh, from unlimited murdering. Where are the bodies, Killery? Where are the bodies? You Pizzagate masterminding, sulfur-smelling demon witch motherfucker! Sorry, thought it was <laughs> thought it was Alex Jones for a second. Uh, trying to keep it together today, but it's tough. All this all this talk about secrets has really kind of uh, frazzled me up a little bit. I uh, know the Clinton's executive order required all classified documents to be declassified after 25 years, unless they were reviewed by the agency that created the information and determined to require continuing classification uh, in the interest of national security. So unless, uh, you know, so really people can just keep stuff classified for as long as they want with these kind of things. It's like, yeah, it's going to be released after 25 years unless they don't want it to be, then it just isn't. And that was executive order 12958 is issued on April 17th, 1995. Now let's go over some terms related to classified and declassified documents. Uh, the U.S. government uses the terms SBU, sensitive but unclassified, SSI, sensitive security information, CPI, critical program information, FOUO, for official use only, or LES, law enforcement sensitive, to refer to information that is not confidential, secret, or top secret, but whose dissemination, uh, dissemination is still restricted. Uh, they also use the term DTF, down to fuck, when talking about people that they're, you know, kind of, just kind of hoping to fuck. Like in an email form, it might show up in a way like, hey, Pizzagate didn't work out, I'm still horny. So who do you have locked up in cages right now? I am DTF AF. Okay, let's get back to more terms that pertain to reality now and not to some undiagnosed mental illness I probably have. Uh, PSS, public safety sensitive. That refers to information that is similar to law enforcement sensitive, but could be shared between the various public safety disciplines, law enforcement, fire, emergency, emergency medical services. Uh, reasons for such restrictions can include export controls, privacy regulations, court orders, and ongoing criminal investigations, as well as national security. Some classified terms uh, were specifically created for use in covert operations like the Manhattan Project, SUC-164, uh, terms like restricted data, restricted data, formally restricted data, are classification markings that concern nuclear information. 
These are the only two classifications that are established by federal law being defined by the Atomic Energy Act of 1954. Nuclear information is not automatically declassified after 25 years. Documents with nuclear information uh, covered under the Atomic Energy Act will be marked with the classification level, confidential, secret, or top secret, and a restricted data or formally restricted data marking. And that shit is kept secret for as long as the powers that be decide it is important to keep that shit secret. Can't let other nations just have willy-nilly access to our nuke secrets after 25 years or ever. Totally get that. I would actually be pretty upset if uh, if we were doing that. You know, here you go, Iran, North Korea. Uh, let us know if you need any help uh, really getting this shit off the ground. Whatever we can do to be a good neighbor. Good luck with those nukes. Nuclear information is uh, specified in the act may inadvertently appear in unclassified documents and must be reclassified whenever it is discovered. Even documents created by private individuals have been seized for containing nuclear information and classified. Only the Department of Energy may declassify nuclear information. I'm not even allowed to consistently say the word nuclear correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that is why ha, that is why I've messed it up so many times. You know, that's it. It's CIA government won't let me say it correctly because it's classified or something. Totally fucking yeah. You you get it. It's part of like the CPI or SSI or DTF OMG. YOLO, BSD, BRB, you know, you get it. You guys get it. Top secret is the highest level of classification. Not everyone with clearance to one piece of top secret information has legal access to other top secret information. Top secret info is often compartmentalized by adding a code word so that only those who have been cleared for each code word can see it. This information is also known as sensitive compartmented information, C or SCI. Man, a lot of acronyms. Starting to feel like I'm going to spy school or something right now. Uh, a document marked secret, insert code word here, you know, could be viewed only by a person with a secret or top secret clearance with that specific code written on it. Each code word obviously deals with different kinds of information and the CIA administers, you know, code word clearances. Uh, top secret is defined as top secret shall be applied to information, the unauthorized disclosure of, uh, which reasonably could be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to the national security that the original classification authority is able to identify or describe. So, you know, it sounds pretty serious. It's believed that 1.4 million Americans have top secret clearances, and I bet Alex Jones is furious that he isn't one of those 1.4 million Americans. Uh, also, how many of those 1.4 million Americans are Russian spies? Seriously. Based on past spy successes, I, I bet at least 100. Bojangles is growling at me right now, but you know, sorry, buddy. The Russians have been very, very good at infiltrating our government for a very long time. Got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, secret is the second highest classification. Information is classified secret when its unauthorized disclosure would cause serious damage to national security. Most information that is classified is held at the secret level of sensitivity. Sounds so much less cool when it doesn't have the word top in front of it. Right? What is that? What is that? Is that top secret information? No, but it is secret information. Want one little look-see? Nah, I'm, I'm busy d- dicking around on Instagram. Uh, confidential is the lowest classification level of information obtained by the government, defined as information that would damage national security if publicly disclosed again without the proper authorization. Sounds way less cool than top secret stuff. Hey, bro, you want to check out this confidential information? No, stop bothering me. I'm trying to watch some Matlock. Got to find out if Ben's going to close this case. Uh, then there is the public trust level, which is not actually a level. Uh, public trust position is not actually a security clearance, uh, despite the common misconception that it is. It's also uh, not the same as the confidential clearance level, which is another common misconception. Certain positions which require access to sensitive information, but not information that is classified and people working in those positions called public trust positions must pass a special background check. 
Public trust positions can either be moderate risk or high risk, all these different levels. Unclassified, not technically a classification. That's just the default classification given to any info that can be released to individuals without any kind of clearance at all. However, information that is unclassified is sometimes restricted in its dis- dissemination, labeled as sensitive but unclassified, or for official use only. SBU, F-O-U-O, more acronyms. Finally, information at uh, one level of classification may be upgraded by aggregation to a higher level. For example, a specific technical capability of a weapon system might be classified secret, but the aggregation of all technical capabilities of the system in one single document could be deemed top secret. There is yet another level of unclassified called controlled unclassified, came about under the George W. Bush administration. On May 9th, 2008, President Bush issued a presidential memorandum in an attempt to consolidate the various designations and in use into a new category known as controlled unclassified information, CUI. The CUI category and subcategories uh, were hoped to serve as the exclusive designations for identifying unclassified info throughout the executive branch, not covered by Executive Order 12958 or the Atomic Energy Act of 1954, but still required safeguarding or dissemination uh, controls pursuant to and consistent with any applicable laws, regulations, and government-wide policies in place at the time. This memorandum has since been rescinded by Executive Order 13556, passed on November 4th, 2010, and the guidelines were expanded upon in a further attempt to improve the management of information across all federal agencies, as well as establish a more standard government-wide program regarding the controlled unclassification designation process itself. Yeesh! You know what this all sounds like to me? A lot of fucking boring paperwork. This picture a lot of administrative assistants and secretaries with top secret clearance, you know, and it's just the fucking most boring shit ever. Just, you know, printing and shredding and filing and worrying about dying from boredom more than they are about spilling national secrets. So many files, so many emails. Oh, man. Beyond the, beyond the top secret secret and confidential designations, President Obama's Executive Order 13526 issued on December 29th, 2009, which forms the legal basis for the U.S. classification system, also provides for special access programs that further restricted access to a small number of individuals and permit additional security measures. There could be other little classification systems inside of that that we don't even fucking know about. Who knows what kind of shady shit might be going on in the deepest depths of the so-called deep state. There's probably only like two people who know exactly which kind of aliens are hidden underneath the Denver airport. All roads lead to the Denver airport. Uh, What system determines what level of classification a piece of info receives? Well, Executive Order 12958, that one passed in 95 by President Clinton. Subsequent executive orders provide instruction for appointment of trained government original classification authorities, OCAs. These OCAs evaluate programs and associated info, equipment, services, et cetera, to determine whether or not they should be classified, and if so, to what level. And being an OCA sounds like a high-stress job. Not a good one to come into work, you know, hungover and accidentally put some top secret shit in that don't even worry about a pile. Not, not a good job for someone prone, prone to committing a lot of whoopsies and cash dangs. Oh, heck, lost that one again. All right, keep losing all my papers. Uh, the OCA uses a six-step process to determine whether or not info can be, uh, is to be classified. Step one, determine if the info is official government information. The U.S. government must own, have an interest, or control the info. Got to make sure you don't mix up a Starbucks Frappuccino memo with a nuke secret memo. Step two, determine if the info is eligible to be classified. OCAs base this guidance provided in Executive Order 12958. Three, determine if there is a potential for damage to national security if unauthorized release occurs. Four, determine classification level, right? Confidential, secret, or top secret. 
five, make a decision about the duration. How long is it going to be top secret? How long is it going to be secret? A lot of, a lot of boxes to check. Then six, communicate the decision. The OCA notifies the users of the classification levels and duration through uh, the security classification guide. A lot of rules to follow. I'd be fired so fast. Uh, Part of the classification process determining a reason for the classification. Classification categories are marked by the number 1.4 followed by one or more letters, A to H. Like 1.4A, military plans, weapon systems, or operations. Or or uh, 1.4C, intelligence activities, sources, or methods, or cryptology. Or 1.4F, U.S. government programs for safeguarding nuclear materials or facilities. 1.4H is the development, production, or use of weapons of mass destruction. How does someone even get a job like this? I Googled original classification authorities, OCA job interviews, and actually found a posting for some OCA jobs. If you're looking for one, if you want to be an OCA and you want to move to Arlington or already live there in Virginia by D.C., uh, I don't come close to qualifying. You have to have five plus years of experience in the declassification or records management area. I have zero years. And you have to have no criminal record. <laughs> Yeep. You have to pass an intense background check. And I bet you have to, you know, uh, do some other stuff, showing that you understand that if you leak anything, uh, you're not just going to, you know, be brought into your boss's office for an ass chewing. Uh, you're going to go to prison. My former manager's brother has one of these types uh, of secret government jobs. I don't, I don't know. She doesn't know. It's so weird. Uh, he's about 45 years old. And, uh, and Maggie and him are super close. And for the past 20 years, Maggie's had no idea what he does. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Wouldn't that be so weird if your sibling just, you have no idea what they do other than that they work for the government in some capacity. That's as specific as it gets. Uh, he's been single this whole time, like his entire adult life, at least to her knowledge. Uh, she's always wondered about what he does, but but he, you know, she doesn't even ask anymore because he, he, he can't tell her shit. Uh, I used to ask about him all the time. Like he'll be in like Japan for a few months. Then he'll come, you know, swing through, uh, you know, California, visitor. Then he'll be in Germany for like six months. Yeah, forever I would ask him like, what's he doing in Germany? She's like, I, de- I can't tell you. I, he, he doesn't tell me. I don't know. You know, he'd go to the Middle East, be there for a few weeks, few months. So crazy. What a pain, what a fucking pain in the ass that would be to not be able to talk really at all about what you actually do <laughs> for like for your whole career. I feel like that is what most people who work full-time talk the most about, you know, which makes sense. That's the, that's the majority of their life. It's like what many of us spend the majority of our waking hours doing is working. And then you can't talk about it unless it's the coworkers. And then even then, it depends on their level of classification for each particular kind of operation, even when you quit or retire, you still can't talk about it. I couldn't do it. I'd get hanged. I'd get hanged for treason, not because I'm trying to be a traitor, but just because I couldn't shut the fuck up, right? I'd have too many drinks, get a little loosey-goosey, get a little whispery, and then I'm in jail or worse. Uh, Let's talk a bit about the steps the government takes to make sure people don't leak sensitive info intentionally or accidentally, and then we'll get into the meat of this suck, actual declassified and or leaked documents, and it's fascinating stuff. Uh, The government takes a lot of steps to keep sensitive documents secure, from special shipping and transport to highly secured systems and buildings. Uh, There's this notion of a lifetime commitment to secrecy. If you take one of these jobs, when a cleared individual leaves the job or employer for which they uh, were granted access to classified information, they have to be officially debriefed, right? Debriefing is an administrative process that accomplishes two main goals. It creates a formal record that the individual no longer has access to classified information for that program. And it reminds the individual of their lifetime commitment to protect the info. I bet that reminder, if you read the fine print, is, is pretty hardcore. Life in prison or execution for letting one secret slip? Even if I'm drunk and kind of just talking about it for funsies? Gosh dang. 
Uh, typically, the individual being debriefed is asked to staple their pee hole closed as a display of loyalty and resistance to torturous interrogation. Man or woman, close it up. You knew it would come to this. No, it's, fuck, no, it's crazy. Uh, typically, the individual being debriefed is asked to sign another NDA, non-disclosure agreement, similar to the one they signed when they got the job. Uh, the, debriefed, the debriefed individual does not necessarily lose their security clearance. Uh, they have only surrendered the need to know info related to that particular job. What about, the, what about freedom of information? Right? I hear people talking about the Freedom of Information Act all the time, how it allows U.S. citizens to access all this hidden info tucked away in government hard drives and file cabinets. Does this uh, act allow regular folks like myself access to classified secrets? Ah, fuck no. Since 1967, the Freedom of, Inform of Information Act, FOIA, has provided the public the right to request access to records from any federal agency. And then federal agencies are required to disclose any information requested under the FOIA unless it falls under one of nine different exemptions, which protect interests such as personal privacy, national security, and law enforcement. And when they won't give you, you know, the info you want, you have to wait until it is eventually declassified or hope that it gets leaked. And then sometimes it's, it's just, it never gets declassified. According to many in the government, there has been a stunning amount of classified documents being leaked, though, in recent years. The internet has made keeping a lot of this shit secret way harder than it used to be. Someone told me uh, that a lot of highly classified, very sensitive info ends up getting leaked to Pornhub.com. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if it's true. I spent a lot of time this past week looking around Pornhub.com for classified info, and I couldn't find anything. I mean, I spent hours just fucking everywhere. I looked in the amateur section, in the mature section. I looked in the Asian section. Uh, I looked in the big-ass Brazilian, DP, ebony, Italian, MILF, redhead, and Russian sections. I looked in the squirt, tattooed women, pissing, party, bondage, trampoline, above-ground pool, Thai food delivery drivers. Even in the Japanese MILF Thai food delivery drivers wearing ripped pantyhose who like to squirt, but not squirt too much sections. Nothing! What the shit? So that might not be true. Uh, that might be something I just made up. I had to do a little research to, you know, find those categories. Hello, Safina. Okay, let's, get, let's move on. But seriously, in the information age, it is increasingly difficult to keep sensitive information from the public. From hackers to whistleblowers, we have learned more about what the government does behind closed doors in the last 20 years than in the cumulative total of all of the years of our nation's history prior to the internet. Uh, between WikiLeaks and whistleblowers, you know, or traitors, depending on how you choose to look at them, like Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning, it feels like classified information is now leaked all the time. Uh, we'll look at the history of leaking at some high-profile leakers in a few minutes during the time stuff timeline. Leakers different than squirters, uh, just to be clear. But first... Now that we have an idea of how the classified system works, let's look at our first batch of declassified military documents. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. I was excited to get to the meat. I was trying not to rush, but I wanted to get to this stuff. Going to start with Operation Paperclip. Aspects of Operation Paperclip remain classified. Information has been uh, classified here and there about this, uh, you know, for many years now, or has been declassified here and there, you know. Uh, we mentioned this way back in the unit 731 suck, bonus 13. Surprised I didn't talk about it in the Manhattan Project suck. I know I thought about doing so. I've referenced it in the secret suck. Let's dig into it a bit now. As World War II was entering its final stages, American and British organizations teamed up to scour occupied Germany for as much military, scientific, and technological development research as they could uncover. Got to get those big brains before Stalin snatches them up from Mother Russia. Got to track down Heinrich Himmler's powerful personal psychic, Carl Willigat. Oh, oh, yeah, you guys should totally work with Carl. That's such a wonderful mind. Have I taught him where the ice giants are? Have, have, have him show you the, the through tunnels? 
Maybe he can use his alien visit powers to find the Holy Grail in Atlantis or somewhere. Best of luck, yeah. I'd still use it myself if I weren't totally dead. It's, it's quite a bummer. Uh, if you're totally confused now, I'm guessing you skipped the Nazi search for the Holy Grail suck a few weeks ago. Uh, American Britain, though, looking to scoop up top German mines, Nazi or not, trailing behind Allied combat troops, groups such as the Combined Intelligence Objectives Subcommittee, the CIOS, began confiscating war-related documents and materials and interrogating scientists as German research facilities were seized by Allied forces. One enlightening discovery recovered from a toilet at Bonn University was the Osenberg List, a catalog of scientists and engineers that had been put to work for the Third Reich. In a covert affair originally dubbed Operation Overcast, but later renamed Operation Paperclip, roughly 1,600 of these German scientists, along with their families, were brought to the United States to work on America's behalf during the Cold War. Crazy, 1,600. Uh, the program was run by the newly formed Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency, JIOA, whose goal was to harness German intellectual resources to help develop America's arsenal of rockets and other biological and chemical weapons and to ensure such coveted information did not fall into the hands of the Soviet Union, right? The big red scare. Although he officially sanctioned the operation, President Harry Truman forbade the agency from recruiting any Nazi members or active Nazi supporters. Nevertheless, officials with the JIOA and Office of Strategic Services, OSS, the forerunner to the CIA, were like, mm, nah. And they just bypassed this directive by eliminating or whitewashing incriminating evidence of possible war crimes from the scientists' records, believing their intelligence to be crucial to the country's post-war efforts. One of the most well-known Nazi recruits was Werner von Braun, the technical director at the uh, Pinamundi Army Research Center in Germany, who was instrumental in developing the lethal V-2 rocket that devastated England during the war. Von Braun and other scientists, other rocket scientists specifically, were brought to Fort Bliss, Texas, and White Sands and the White Sands Proving Grounds in New Mexico as War Department special employees to assist the U.S. Army with rocket experimentation. Uh, Von Braun later became director of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center and the chief architect of the Saturn V launch vehicle, which eventually propelled two dozen American astronauts to the moon, which did happen. So how involved was Von Braun with the Nazi party? Well, he seemed pretty involved, actually. Uh, he did not appear to be enthusiastically politically involved, but he also made no efforts to leave Germany as the Nazi party rose, rose to power. Uh, born in 1912, Von Braun was working on his doctorate when the Nazis first came to power in 1933. Then he joined the Nazi party four years later in 1937. In 1940, he joined the SS. There's a picture of him wearing his SS uniform, standing next to that terrible Nazi we learned about back in December, right? Heinrich Himmler. We also know that von Braun visited uh, Mittelwerk at least once. He was given a tour of the facility by SS guards in late 1943 when prisoners were still excavating tunnels there. Now, Mittelwerk was an underground factory near the central German town of Nordhausen where V-2 rockets were being built by von Braun and other engineers. V-2 rockets were being used against the Allies. And we know that over 60,000 prisoners lived, worked, and over 20,000 died in the damp underground tunnels at Middlewerk. Uh, some succumbed to disease and malnutrition. Some were quite literally worked to death. Others were hanged publicly in group executions. Almost all were tortured and beaten. The death rate rose so high that crematoriums became a necessity. Uh, these prisoners were largely Jewish and they came from the Dora concentration camp. So how much did Von Braun know about these prisoners in the camp? Probably quite a bit. I mean, he had to have known something. How much did he care? We'll never know. Why didn't he leave Germany in the 30s when Hitler rose to power? Was he anti-Semitic? Did he hate Hitler? Did he like him? Did he not care about him? Why did von Braun get a pass? 
I mean, he developed weapons for the Nazis to use to help them win World War II. That's a pretty deep level of involvement. He wasn't a prisoner of war. He was a willing participant. Would he have died if he said no and refused to help him? I mean, maybe, maybe even probably. Uh, are there records of him being overly uh, or, or uh, overtly supportive of the Nazis? No, he didn't. In, he didn't seem to be an enthusiastic Nazi member, but should that matter? Uh, recruiting von Braun and other Nazis was obviously uh, very sensitive and morally questionable, which is one of the reasons the Operation Paperclip uh, was classified. Von Braun greatly aided in helping America win the space race against the Soviet Union later. Does that justify his Nazi involvement? Many would say no. I mean, what if we did something like that today? What if, uh, you know, to do a, a kind of a fair comparison, what if we recruited some, some scientists who had worked on weapons for ISIS uh, to use uh, on American targets, uh, which, you know, weapons that, that were used successfully on American targets, somebody who is really good at, say, biological warfare, and then we bring him over here to the States and he ends up curing dementia. Does that make what he did earlier okay? Can the end justify the means in a situation like that? I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of case by case. Another Operation Paperclip scientist who contributed directly to the U.S. Apollo astronauts landing on the moon was Arthur Rudolph, another V-2 rocket scientist who worked with von Braun. Uh, an early Operation Paperclip report identified uh, him, this, uh, this uh, other guy, I got a, uh, Arthur Rudolph, as 100% Nazi. But that initial report was then hushed up and hidden because of how good he was at building rockets and he was hired by the U.S. government, 100% Nazi or not. The Army brought him to America, cleared him for secret research and development work on the Pershing missile, and later after the establishment of NASA, moved him into the space program. When Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin Jr. landed on the moon in 1969, their ascent through space was powered by a rocket that Rudolph had built to Saturn V. Three American presidents shook Rudolph's hand over the course of his career. They shook the hand of a man who evidence has linked with thousands of deaths in wartime Germany, evidence that was not brought to light until after he retired, until after he'd already made all these contributions to the U.S. military and NASA. Very convenient. Uh, Rudolph had overseen the production line at a rocket factory in Nazi Germany that relied on concentration camp inmates for, inmates for labor. Thousands of workers had died of hunger and exhaustion. Office of Special Investigations men, the OSI, uh, which was a special Nazi hunting justice unit formed in 1979. They said in 1982 that it was naive to think that Rudolph hadn't known about the deaths and that he hadn't been able uh, to do something to stop them. You know, they think he, he, he was uh, able to stop them, but didn't because he didn't care, essentially. Uh, so, eep. Now let's move on to uh, a completely different operation. Operation Gladio. Had the spacesers not voted in this topic, I might have never known about it. I definitely never heard about this one before this research. Gladio is the Italian form of gladius, a uh, type of Roman short sword. Operation Gladio. Uh, it's Mario. He's very scared. What this operation is going to be? Uh, cool name. Way cooler than Paperclip. Paperclip is about as nerdy as it gets, which made sense, I guess, for that type of operation. Operation Gladio is a part of a post-World War II program set up by the CIA and NATO supposedly to thwart future Soviet communist invasions or influence Italy and Western Europe. In reality, it became a state-sponsored right-wing terrorist group involved in false flag operations and the subversion of democracy. And it was kept secret for 45 years. And uh, what kind of shit went on with Operation Gladio? Well, uh, here's uh, Judge Felis Casson, who discovered the network in the course of in his investigations into right-wing terrorism, points to a 1972 car bombing in uh, Petiano, that killed three paramilitary police and was blamed on leftists, after which 200 communists were immediately arrested. He found that there was no police investigation of the scene. The original report was a forgery. The 200 communists were completely framed and the CIA was behind it. 
I mean, I'm not a fan of communism, but that's pretty fucked up. To frame some dudes because they believed in a different kind of government. But if that's what it, you know, uh, has to happen to keep my country from being a communist state, oh, sorry, commies. I, I kind of hope you get framed. For the greater good. I mean, real, I mean, morality is so complicated in these situations, like true morality. If framing 200 innocent dudes keeps a couple million from living under the thumb of a totalitarian regime where thousands will die, isn't framing them the best moral decision you can make? I mean, maybe. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I would fit in uh, all too well at the CIA. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, the bombing was actually per perpetrated by a right-wing terrorist named Vincenzo uh, Vinciguera, operating under Operation Gladio Orders, who later confessed to the crime. After Kassan brought this and other examples to light, an ex-Italian or ex-Italian prime minister, uh, Giulio Andriotti, admitted he knew of Gladio's existence. The main function of Operation Gladio seemed to have been to discredit left-wing groups and politicians through the use of the strategy of tension including false flag terrorism. The strategy of tension is a concept for control and manipulation of public opinion through the use of fear, propaganda, agent provocateurs, terrorism, etc. The aim was to instill fear into the populace while framing communist and left-wing political opponents for terrorist atrocities. The existence of this kind of a stay-behind network and others were one of Europe's best-kept secrets until 1990. And that's when ex-Prime Minister Andriotti finally testified about the operation. He revealed that arms and equipment were provided by the CIA, placed in 139 underground caches around the country. General uh, Giandelio Maletti, a former head of the uh, Italian counterintelligence, also confirmed the CIA's involvement in, the Mar in March of 2001. He stated that after the Piazza Fontana bombing in 1969, pieces of a bomb were planted in a leftist editor's villa in order to blame the communists. So another person's framed. 17 innocent Italian citizens died in that bombing in Milan. Another 88 were wounded. And why were they killed? To make sure Italy didn't tilt over into communism. To make sure the Soviets couldn't gain a stronghold that far west in Europe. More casualties of the Cold War. Were those deaths justified in the interest of the greater good? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure where the line is in situations like that. There's a lot, of, a lot of gray stuff here today. Next up, Operation Washtub. This one is not controversial, just uh, interesting. Operation Washtub was a secret mission in which America's uh, stinkiest citizens were kidnapped, vigorously scrubbed, and shampooed, tossed back into society a little cleaner than they were when they disappeared. It was also called Operation uh, Blast Some of That Swamp Ass and Operation Skunk Junk for, for a while. And what am I even what am I even fucking talking about right now? Operation Washtub was a secret United States Air Force and Federal Bureau of Investigation operation during the Cold War to ensure that there would be spies in the then territory of Alaska should the Soviet Union invade the territory. Uh, the plans were drafted in 1950, were put into place in the early 50s. Agents were recruited and paid a stipend of $3,000 for training and to be available for covert service after an invasion of Alaska by the Soviets. Total of 89 agents were trained and paid. Uh, in addition, caches of food, winter weather equipment, and radios were placed for use by the agents after an invasion. Uh, the agents would have been used uh, to gather intelligence and report on the activities of the invading army. In addition, some agents could have been tasked with the evacuation of U.S. military crews stranded in Soviet-held territory, and that plan remained in place until 1959. Uh, details of that plan became public in 2014 as a result of a Freedom of Information Act request by Government uh, Attic, a website specializing in publishing documents. Crazy to think about how, A, Alaska wasn't even a state until 1959, and B, the U.S. was obviously at least a little bit worried about losing the Alaskan territory to the Soviet Union. How fucking weird would that be if Alaska had ended up being part of the Soviet Union? Like if after the fall of the Soviet Union at the end of 1991, it would become some kind of independent Russian-speaking, you know, state, 
uh, or nation in North America. If Alaska would have been taken over by the Soviets, uh, if that takeover didn't immediately lead to World War III, I feel like World War III would have happened between the takeover in 91, right? Because the Soviets would have had a bunch of bases in Alaska with a lot of very big missiles pointed at the American West Coast, pointed at the Northwest. The tension during the Cold War would have led to something pushing the wrong button. Canada would have been stuck in the middle, which would have sucked for them. Just come on, guys. Just be cool, eh? No reason to start bushings now. No, don't push the buttons. Uh, you know, we can all get along, eh? You guys both like hockey and basketball. You fellas like all beef hot dogs and you fellas like stroganoff and you're not that different, eh? So let's sit down, have some poutine and talk it all out. Uh, this next one's a super weird one. <laughs> super weird. <laughs> I had to look at a few stories. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Operation Acoustic Kitty was a secret plan to turn cats into portable spying devices. Agent 00 Sourpuss, the Siamese spy kitty. The name is Bond, Garfield Bond. You get it. The CIA uh, only ever produced one acoustic kitty because <laughs> it abandoned the project after a test with a prototype uh, went horribly wrong. The acoustic kitty was a kind of like a feline android thing, a little cyborg of a sort. A surgeon implanted a microphone in this poor cat's ear, <laughs> a radio transmitter at the base of its skull. The surgeon also wove an antenna into the cat's fur. CIA operatives had hoped that they could train the cat to sit near foreign officials. That way the cat could secretly transmit these private conversations to CIA operatives. Who's fuck? Whose stupid idea was this? Like this idea should have been shot down immediately after someone suggested training a cat. Hey, hey guys, I was thinking that we could train a cat to, nope. No, ho- hey, hold on. There's more to my plan. First, we train this cat to, nope. Start over, replace cat with dog. Maybe I'll keep listening. Uh, you could maybe train a dog to do that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some type of like pet wizard cat whisperer maybe could train like one special cat to do that for like a little tiny while. But then that cat would head over to Russia and just, I don't know, somewhere and just do whatever the fuck it wanted like cats are want to do. It's crazy that they actually tried this. For its official test, CIA staffers drove Acoustic Kitty to the park. (laughs) Ah, They tasked it with capturing the conversation of two men sitting on a bench and it didn't do that because it's fucking, it's cat. Instead, it just wandered out into the street and it was immediately (laughs) squashed by a taxi. I know that's not, it shouldn't be funny. I know it's sad, but it is also funny to me. I just, because you know that they were so pissed when that cat got ran over, like after all that work. I bet that they were more angry initially than sad. Just fucking Molly! God damn it, I knew she'd do something stupid like that. I never liked her. Never could get her to stop pissing under the coffee table, stop clawing the back of the couch. Why do we ever think we could train her to spy on the Russians? And I bet they've been training that cat for months. All this special equipment created. They had to wait for the cat to heal after its surgery to attach all the equipment. You know, they got over this scenario over and over again in the lab. And they finally go to a park to like go with the cat. Then it just sees a bird or some shit and just fucking takes off. One random bird, you know, dog, laser pointer, and the whole project's out the window. Bojangles is laughing his pitbull ass off right now. Uh, in a heavily redacted memo, the CIA concluded, our final examination of trained cats convinced us that the program would not lend itself in a practical sense to our highly specialized needs. Yeah, you think? They're, they're cats, dummy. Uh, still, this does not mean that the U.S. government's days of animal engineering were over. In 2006, the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, asked scientists to create cyborg insects. And apparently with DARPA's support, researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, successfully created a cyborg beetle whose movements they could remotely control. God, that's awesome. wonder what that beetle's doing right now. I wonder what it's spying on. I wish, man, if I had a remote control bug, I could, I could entertain myself for days. Just harassing my dogs, Penny and Ginger. Can you imagine having a remote controlled bug to fuck with your dogs? And with my family? Oh my God, my kids and my wife. I would have that thing land on their face, you know? 
and then just take off and then hide and then land on their faces again, just over and over. So fun to think about. Uh, also, the CIA almost tried using cats again in an even more fucked up plan. They thought about making cat bombs. The idea was that soldiers could uh, strap actual bombs to the back of uh, cats <laughs> and then drop them out of an airplane towards an enemy ship. Just uh, just cat bombs, just kitty kabooms, kitty, kitty kamikazes, feline firecrackers, pussy projectiles. You get it. Uh, the plan was for the cats to swim towards the ships if they landed near them. <laughs> and then the bombs would go off once they got on the ship, I guess. The detonation method is never fully explained. It's a dumb idea. Never implemented. Uh, the Cold War was a time for some crazy weapons. We, we touched on a number of them during our KGB suck, suck 138, but none were quite as crazy as the cat bomb. A lot of weird secret shit went on during wo- World War II and after World War II during the Cold War. Uh, strange stuff did happen long before World War II as well. Six of the oldest files held by the CIA predating the birth of the American spy agency by several decades were declassified and made public in 2011. One paper from 1918 lists the chemicals and techniques used to create secret writing. Another from 1914, uh, written in French, gives the formula the Germans were believed to have used for invisible ink. They reveal chemical methods used by intelligence agents to open sealed envelopes without being detected and carry warnings such as do not inhale fumes. Uh, One suggests that secret messages uh, should be passed by soaking a handkerchief or collar in a mixture of nitrate, soda, and starch, and then drying the fabric. Uh, the chemicals would come out when the cloth was put in water and that liquid would become invisible ink for message for message writing. The person receiving the message could then read the words by applying iodate of potassium. Some 50 different scenarios for using invisible ink are outlined, including placing writings under postage stamps, wrapping messages in medicine capsules, and engraving messages on toenails. Old school spy shit. It's weird secret messages written on toenails. That's a weird one. Smart though. Some secret formula written out across several toes and invisible ink. I mean, what enemy is going to find that? Awkward to have to decode that message though, right? You got to hold somebody's foot. You got to examine their toes. You know, they probably couldn't wash their feet until you got the message. So you got to hold someone's stinky feet and then you got to, you know, smell like hot garbage. You got to get the message that way. It's probably better than having the message written inside of their butt though. I wonder if they tried that. That would be, that would be worse than stinky toes to have, have to have somebody bend over in front of you and you got to spread their cheeks. You got, while, while you read the messages inside their dirty butt with a magnifying glass. Somebody else has to write it down. You know, who, who wants to decode a dirty butt message? No one, except maybe Albert Fish. Peanut butter butter, showbiz. Let's get to decoding bimbos and bear cats. Uh, let's move on to our next bit of secrecy. This next declassified tidbit involves a massive secret tunnel. During the Cold War, monitoring and thwarting the Soviet Union's influence worldwide was a top priority of the CIA by the early 50s. The Soviets had shifted from radio to landline telephones for most uh, military traffic transmitting both encrypted messages and non-secure voice communications. The CIA assessed that tapping the underground cables could be done securely and with little notice. So the CIA and the British Secret Intelligence Service developed a tunneling and tapping plan. The director of Central Intelligence, Alan Dulles, approved in January 1954. Work began the following month in Berlin. Uh, The construction used an Air Force radar site and warehouse as a cover and proceeded undetected. Building the tunnel was an undertaking of extreme proportions. Uh, During construction, 3,100 tons of soil were removed, which would fill more than 20 living rooms in an average American home. 125 tons of steel liner plate were used to line the tunnel, and 1,000 cubic yards of grout were consumed. The finished tunnel was 1,476 feet long. British technicians installed the taps, and intelligence collection began in May of 1955. Unfortunately, the KGB, 
The Soviet Union's premier intelligence agency uh, had been aware of the CIA project the entire time. Damn it. Spy versus spy shit. And the Russians won that round. God, they must have loved watching that. If they were watching that from the very beginning, <laughs> dig American pigs, dig a little tunnel, spend the capitalist scum money. Mother Russia's laughing in your face. I wonder if they fucked with them by leaking bullshit into the tap lines from time to time. Igor, are you ready to blow Berlin to moon this morning? Can you believe it? In just 30 minutes, we drop 50 nuke bombs on West Berlin. Khrushchev has giant stone balls, does he not? Oh, this next bit of declassified information is, and then just watch all the guys fucking scramble. Oh my God, they're going to bomb us in 30 minutes. Oh, this next bit of declassified info is about a spy who almost kicked off World War III, or helped kick it off. Oleg Penkowski was a high-ranking Soviet military intelligence officer who worked as a spy for the U.S. and Great Britain during the Cold War. At least that's what the Allies thought. Best known for his role in the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, Penkovsky supplied the U.S. government with valuable details about the capabilities of Soviet missiles that had been installed in Cuba. The spy was eventually sniffed out by his fellow Soviet intelligence officers charged with treason and executed in 1963, or was he? A lot of people believed that Penkovsky was a decoy who may have just uh, relayed false information about Soviet arms capabilities to the U.S. intelligence agents to help push the U.S. into war with Russia, Basically, thanks to some declassified documents, after really looking at the intelligence provided to the Allies, it seems there is ample proof that his loyalty was always to the Soviet Union. The Russian Illuminati probably faked his death. Now he's living out his life on some sweet beach in sunny Siberia. Uh, I've mentioned World War III a few times now. Let's talk about a secret plan American politicians had hatched to survive it. During the Cold War, the worst fear for everyone was a full-on nuclear war. Would it blow up everything? Would it render the earth completely uninhabitable? What would happen? How would humanity survive a nuclear apocalypse? Well, thanks to documents declassified in early 2017, documents revealing Presidential Directive 58, we now know that President Jimmy Peanut Farmer Carter and his top advisors had an interesting plan to survive the end of days formed when he first took office in 1977. The plan starts off on a very dark and unconstitutional note based around the military having to cross one of their most important lines, getting involved in domestic security. Uh, basically, the start of the plan calls for kicking off perpetual martial law. Martial law is terrifying. Martial law is when a state is uh, put under control of the military, usually temporarily, which is how things got started in The Handmaid's Tale under his eye, due to an emergency or crisis that has uh, broken down the usual civil authority and order, also known as everyday life in North Korea. And Carter's plan after the nuclear war, martial law will almost exclusively, or certainly have to be declared and then the military is given extraordinary powers to manage resource distribution. Scary, but maybe necessary to survive. In addition to martial law, the plan called for the government planned, uh, excuse me, uh, the plan called for the government to move significant parts of the population away, specifically those folks who live near uh, strategic military targets. And what about the members of the government themselves? Well, in an emergency, the Joint Chiefs of Staff would order 60 officials to be taken to primary relocation sites. The main one at that time was not too far from D.C. The U.S. government operated a special facility atop Mount Weather in Berryville, Virginia, where a nest of top executive branch officials would ride out World War III. From this bunker, these officials could carry out the functions of the U.S. government and probably also eat so much dehydrated and rehydrated rations. You ever eaten that stuff? I, I bought some of that stuff for camping and, uh, and had them summer before last. And I got to say, the stuff I had, not bad. I didn't mind me some rehydrated spaghetti and rehydrated mashed potatoes. I, I, I think I could hang in a bunker for quite a while. If I had a lot of mashed potatoes, books, 
hopefully a bunch of graphic novels and a PS4. Sounds kind of fun in a strange way, exciting, but only to think about. Probably would suck in real life, especially if I didn't have any music and, and I got locked in a bunker with some heavy breathing lip smackers and open mouth potato chip eaters. Chew with your fucking mouth closed. I'm trying to enjoy my bunker taters. I can imagine the elements of uh, Carter's where will we go into hiding plan have been declassified only now because uh, we probably have some new classified plan, right? For, for surviving being nuked. I mean, there has to be some new massive bunker that we don't know about, right? Uh, supposedly the government would now head to the North American Aerospace Defense Command in Colorado, NORAD. But why would that, uh, you know, uh, information be made public knowledge? I mean, NORAD is pretty sweet. It's a badass intermountain modern fortress. Five chambers inside Cheyenne Mountain hold reservoirs for water and fuel. There's even an underground lake, which requires rowboats to patrol. So cool. Uh, maybe do some underground fishing, maybe catch some bat trout or something. Uh, in the beginning, nearly 40 million went into equipping this place with the best computers and electronics uh, that were around in 1957. During an emergency, NORAD could house 1,000 people for a month. The Pentagon nearly closed the book on this facility, which costs about $250 million a year to operate. Jesus. But then reverse course after 9-11, installing about $700 million in communications and computer upgrades five years after the attacks. Uh, one $15 million project in 2004 nearly doubled the main command center's 540-square-foot uh, room to accommodate more staff. After a brief return to standby mode in 2006, the Obama administration brought NORAD back to life again. It began running full-scale continuity drills, even sealed the blast door entrance for 24 hours, the first time a test of that magnitude had happened there. Then in 2015, the Pentagon announced that it was restaffing the bunker as the rising threat of electromagnetic pulse attacks against the U.S., perhaps even by a new nuclear-armed nation like Iran, meant that the NORAD bunker was a perfect bastion from which to defend the nation. Okay, so maybe they're going to go there if, uh, you know, shit gets crazy. Or will the government operate out of a place called Raven Rock somewhere in North Carolina? That place opened in 1953, designed to be the centerpiece of a large military emergency hub, uh, provided 100,000 feet of office space. They could hold 1,400 people comfortably. Two sets of 34-ton blast doors, a curved 1,000-foot-long tunnel or tunnels reduced the impact of a bomb blast. This compound has undergone several rounds of upgrades. New buildings were added as well as updated technology and air filtration systems. A few years after 9-11, the government injected $652 million worth of upgrades. Uh, the underground city added 27 new fuel tanks in 2012. Each could hold 20,000 gallons. Raven Rock believed now to have 900,000 square feet of office. Today, it could theoretically hold between 3,000 and 5,000 government employees. Uh, it doesn't say how long that I can find uh, those people would be able to survive, uh, you know, in, in this big bunker. 900,000 square feet. You got to have a bar in there, don't they? Maybe one with a jukebox, some pool tables. You got to have a bar in a big bunker, somewhere to knock a few back, take the edge off after a long day of no sunlight, wondering how many packets of bunker taters you have left. Uh, maybe the government would ride out, uh, you know, uh, the apocalypse in the uh, App Appalachian, Virginia. Maybe yip, yip, yah, hog folk, dog folk style. Peters Mountain in Monroe County, Virginia is a longstanding facility that some think is run undercover as an AT&T communication station. There's even an AT&T logo painted on its helipad, but its real purpose might be one, uh, you know, might be one of these uh, half dozen secret facilities known as AT&T project offices that are actually key hubs for government continuity planning. So actually just hidden bunkers, theoretically. This is a department store-sized bunker capable of housing several hundred people. It's undergone $67 million in renovations in recent years. So it could be another possible place people could hide out. Maybe the U.S. government in the event of nuclear apocalypse 
will operate out of the International Order of Oddfellows Hall in my hometown of Riggins, Idaho. Right? That's a possible site. This dilapidated site has doors that do lock. Some have some have deadbolts. Uh, the windows are single pane, but most are not broken. Uh, the walls are made out of almost enough two by fours to meet most modern building codes. The basement does have concrete floors and concrete walls. So in the event of a nuclear blast, while the roof would be obliterated and, and the walls would definitely collapse in a, in, a, in a blast wave, you still would have most of the floor intact. And it's got to be at least 3,000 square feet. It might, might even have two bathrooms. I've used at least one. Right? I think it has a drinking fountain. Okay, probably not going to hear about any declassified documents uh, revealing that Riggins, Idaho is an important part of a World War III hideout plan or of, or, or of any other plan. Now, before we move on to our next secret project, time for a little sponsor break, unless you're listening or watching on YouTube, where it'll be an awkward pause break. For everyone else, please take advantage of some sweet deals. Let the suck save you some money. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it, though, and it was canceled. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs causing me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has zero to one gram of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the two grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the one gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. Five grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. And now we're back. Or if you're on YouTube, you know, you just it was like a weird pause. And I was here the whole time. Uh, now let's talk about Project Iceworm. Another cool name. Iceworm sounds like a, like a Stanley Marvel supervillain. Some dude who can harness the, maybe the moisture in the atmosphere, turn it into ice either blast you with some icy projectiles or freeze you or maybe maybe worm its way into the earth. Disappear. I don't know. It is I, Ice Worm. Your webs have no power over me, Spider-Man, for I can be quite melty and stuff or, and also slippery or both. I can be melty and slippery and I can shoot you with my ice worms, which are really kind of an ice projectile. Sounds cooler to call them worms. You, yeah, watch out. Why has Marvel never hired me to write comic book dialogue? Come on, I'm a natural. Um, Project Icewind was a top secret United States Army program which aimed to build a network of mobile nuclear missile launch sites under the Greenland Ice Sheet. Launched in 1960 under the cover of a research facility with a scientific focus of studying the feasibility of working underneath the ice. It was called Camp Century and was meant to be a step towards space colonies. Army researchers did perform some actual science there, including drilling the first ice core to the base of the Greenland ice sheet, uh, a core that provided information to scientists about the past climate. But the site wasn't really created for that. It was created to build and maintain a secret network of tunnels and missile silos connected by rail cars. Once the location was settled on, hundreds of military engineers and technicians trekked 150 miles from the existing Thule Air Base. Thule? (laughs) Why is that coming up again after all the Himmler Thule nonsense last month? Uh, but really, they trekked 150 miles from the Thule Air Base in, uh, along Greenland's northwest coast to the Camp Century site. From 1959 to 1961, they dug hundreds of feet into the compacted snow, fashioning an underground city with sleeping quarters, laboratories, offices, a barbershop, laundry, library, and warm showers for 200 soldiers, which is pretty amazing. 
Uh, what a strange place to be based. Underneath the ice in Greenland. Might, might as well be deep down under the water in a submarine. Too bad they didn't have a bar. I, I bet they did have some drinks, though. Need something to relax when you're, when you're hanging out below the ice in Greenland. Uh, the American public didn't know about Project Iceworm until a Danish parliament investigation published documents about the secret project in 1997. Uh, they did know about Camp Century. Documents show that many of the servicemen were concerned about exposure to radiation from the nuclear reactor that powered the station. Operation Iceworm shut down long before 1997 because the walls of snow and ice kept moving, squeezing the tracks that carried the missile train. Problems with uh, the nuclear reactor forced its removal in 1964, and by 1966, the Army had abandoned Camp Century altogether. Engineers figured that ice would eventually entomb the abandoned station, but decades later, warming temperatures have presented a problem. In 2016, a team of scientists reported that the rapid warming of Greenland, uh, Greenland's ice sheet could lead to the exposure of radioactive, toxic, and human waste that remains at Camp Century, possibly leaking into streams that would lead to the ocean. It's just a matter of time, says Mike McFerrin, an author on, the two, on a 2016 study that exposed this problem. When the water reaches these wastes and gets to the coast, then we've got a big problem. No word from the U.S. government currently about its plans, if it has the need, to head over to Greenland to clean up this mess. Pretty fucked up if we just, just kind of left it there. Uh, now let's talk about a, another U.S. nuke situation that was long kept a secret. This time, uh, one where we almost bombed North Carolina. Yep, North Carolina was almost nuked on accident. If one tiny switch had just worked properly, there would now be a massive crater in the center of the Tar Heel State. Documents declassified under the Freedom of Information Act uh, showed the first definitive proof that the U.S. government almost detonated two hydrogen bombs over Goldsboro, North Carolina on January 23, 1961. The bombs fell out of the government's B-52 after it fell apart in midair. One of the bombs began its detonation sequence as it was falling. But due to a tiny switch not working properly, the largest nuclear disaster in U.S. history was narrowly avoided. Each bomb had a total payload of four megatons. That's equivalent to about 4 million tons of TNT. Jesus Christ, 4 million tons. Much larger than the bombs dropped on Japan during World War II, which is saying a lot because those were huge. Uh, the area is not densely populated. Uh, based on 1961 population statistics and what the blast radius would have been, 28,000 North Carolinians uh, would have died. Another 26,000 people would have been injured had that switch worked and the bomb detonated. Uh, the state of North Carolina erected a historical road marker in the town of Eureka, three miles north of the crash site, commemorating the crash with a sign that read, or that reads, nuclear mishap. Can you imagine if the U.S. would have accidentally nuked almost 30,000 citizens to death, 10 times the death toll of 9-11? I wonder if the government would have blamed Cuba or, or Russia or both. Maybe that one switch not working kept us out of World War III. Some of this shit is uh, terrifying, these close calls. Back in the 1960s, the U.S. also lost a nuke on Greenland. Man, poor Greenland. Apparently just fucking up their whole situation over there, just leaving stuff all over the place. I bet all 15 of them are super pissed. Uh, there really isn't that many people in Greenland. Uh, less than 60,000 on that entire island. <laughs> I am fascinated by Greenland. The biggest city, uh, Nuuk, I think it's N-U-U-K, 17,000 people in it. That's the biggest city. That's the capital. Uh, they got their first mall in Greenland in 2012. It has uh, roughly 20 stores and no food court. It has two cafes. So if modern amenities uh, are your thing, maybe don't uh, take a trip to Greenland. Uh, Greenland assisted the Allies in the Second World War by allowing U.S. military bases to be built there, as you mentioned earlier. 
but they didn't want nukes on their Danish controlled land. And the U.S. military was like, oh, yeah, 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 we totally get that. No nukes. I proceed with the nukes. <laughs> I dare them to say shit. It's, it's fucking Greenland. Fuck them. Uh, the U.S. just flat out ignored that request. Uh, then after a, a B-52 crash in Greenland on January 21st, 1968, the U.S. even abandoned a nuke there. There were four nukes on the plane, and the Pentagon maintained that all four weapons had been destroyed. And this may be technically true since bombs were no longer complete, these bombs, uh, but declassified documents obtained by the BBC under the U.S. Freedom of Information Act, uh, parts of which remain classified, reveal a much darker story, which has been confirmed by individuals involved in the clear-up and those who have had access to details since. Uh, the documents make clear that within weeks of the incident, investigators piecing together the fragments realized that only three of the weapons could be accounted for. Even by the end of January, one document talks of a blackened section of ice which had refrozen with shroud lines from a weapon parachute. Speculate something melted through ice, such as burning, primary, or secondary, the document reads. The primary or secondary referring to parts of the weapon. By April, a decision had been taken to send a Star 3 submarine to the base to look for the lost bomb, and then the U.S. lied to Denmark. Uh, one document from July reads, fact that this operation includes search for object or missing weapon part is to be treated as confidential, no foreign. The last word meaning not to be disclosed to any foreign country. Uh, it continued, for discussion with Danes, this operation should be referred to as a survey, repeat, survey of bottom under impact point. Uh, the U.S. did try to find the nuke, but their underwater search was uh, beset with technical problems. And as winter encroached and the ice began to freeze over, uh, the documents report something approaching panic setting in. They had abandoned the search and then just they just left the lost nuke out there under the ice. Just, no, whoops, come on. Yeah, come on. We, just, we Look at it like we gave you one. You got a free nuke just for funsies. We didn't even charge you for it. Gosh dang. Uh, the bomb contained enriched uranium and plutonium and the abandoned weapons parts were highly sensitive because of the way in which the design, shape, and amount of uranium revealed classified elements of nuclear warhead design. According to now declassified documents, the U.S. thought that if we couldn't find it, nobody else could either. Uh, as for the nuclear materials, the U.S. felt that they would eventually dissolve into the water harmlessly. Uh, scientists have tested the area and the radioactive elements do seem to be buried in sediment, uh, which, which does not contaminate local water to any kind of you know critical levels. So I guess we, we kind of got lucky. Uh, this nuke mishap, apparently just one of many we kept secret in the 1960s. Let's talk now about Starfish Prime and Project Fishbowl. Love these names. Starfish Prime and Fishbowl, that's, that, that sounds like some janky-ass Transformer rejects. Whoa! Are you, are you Optimus Prime? Turn into a semi-truck, please! Sorry, I can't do that. I'm Starfish Prime. Optimus' second cousin, twice removed on his mother's side. I can turn into a small beach buggy. This is my friend Fishbowl. He can turn into a, uh, well, he can... He can turn into a fishbowl, but don't ask him to do that because it really kind of bothers him. It upsets him that all he can do is just be a fishbowl and it's not very practical and can't really move or anything, you know. Uh, July 9th, 1962, the United States detonated a nuclear weapon high above the Pacific Ocean. And surprise, surprise, that's a really bad thing to do. Designated Starfish Prime, it was part of a dangerous series of high altitude nuclear bomb tests at the height of the Cold War. Its immediate effects were felt for thousands of miles. In 1958, the Soviet Union had called for a ban on atmospheric tests of nuclear weapons and went so far as to unilaterally stop such testing. But then under external political pressure, uh, or I'm sorry, under external political pressure, the U.S. agreed. But then in late 1961, political pressures internal to the USSR pushed Khrushchev to break the moratorium and the Soviets began testing once again. And then the U.S. responded with their own secret tests. 
The U.S. worried that the uh, that a Soviet nuclear bomb detonated in space could damage or destroy U.S. intercontinental missiles, set up a series of high-altitude weapons tests called Project Fishbowl, itself part of the larger Operation Dominic, to study what happens when nuclear weapons are detonated in space. Uh, mon- that Monday in 1962, the U.S. launched a Thor missile, another sweet name, from Johnston Island in a toll about 900 miles southwest of Hawaii. The missile arced up to a height of over 660 miles. Jesus. Then came back down at the pre-programmed height of 240 miles above sea level, 400 kilometers, uh, just seconds after 9 o'clock universal or UTC uh, time, the 1.4 megaton nuclear warhead detonated. And they and they damn near ripped a fucking hole in the sky. 1.4 megatons is the equivalent of 1.4 million tons of TNT exploding. And that still doesn't really explain how powerful this bomb was. TNT releases its energy in the form of heat and light. Nukes also do that, plus release vast amounts of X-rays and gamma rays, high-energy forms of light, uh, also release subatomic particles like electrons and heavy ions. All of this created a huge artificial aurora, basically one of the most expensive light shows in history. Uh, Also created an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP. The strength of this EMP was so great, it affected the flow of electricity on on Earth thousands of, or over a thousand miles away. In Hawaii, it blew out hundreds of streetlights caused widespread telephone outages, also created dangerous electrical surges on airplanes and radio blackouts all over the place. Good thing it didn't knock uh, any planes out of the sky. Also gave the Earth a new radiation belt. Many of the electrons from the blast didn't fall down into the Earth's atmosphere, but instead lingered in space for months, trapped by Earth's magnetic field, creating an artificial radiation belt high above the planet's surface. What the fuck did these guys almost do? Uh, It destroyed some satellites, when a high-speed electron hits a satellite, it can generate a, a sort of a miniature EMP. The details are complex, but the net effect is that these electrons can zap satellites with some no-no naughty boy zap magic juice and can damage their electronics. Uh, the pulse of electrons from the Starfish Prime detonation damaged at least six satellites back when there wasn't that many satellites floating around, one of which was a Soviet satellite, all of which eventually failed uh, part, you know, c- completely due to this blast. Uh, other satellite features at the time, maybe, or other satellite failures, excuse me, at the time, maybe linked to the explosion as well. Uh, this blast led to a, a scary possibility we still worry about today. It just demonstrated how truly dangerous a high altitude nuke blast can be. In 2010, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency issued a report called Collateral Damage to Satellites from an EMP Attack. And it basically states that one high altitude nuclear blast could c- cripple the United States. Just one due to our increasing reliance on satellites for communication, surveillance, and so much more. I'd never thought about something like that before, right? About a bomb that doesn't even hit anything here on Earth. That a weapon could be used like that. That's a new thing to be afraid of. That like a bomb could go way up, hundreds of miles up in the air, release a huge blast, and then just fuck up all of our satellites. Good. Something else to think about before going to bed. Uh, next on the list of declassified information is another weapon of mass destruction. Uh, one located in space called Project Thor. The 107-country Outer Space Treaty signed in 1967 prohibits nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons from being placed in or used from Earth's orbit. And right after signing it, the U.S. military immediately began secretly exploring a loophole. Project Thor was the U.S. Air Force's pursuit of the simplest weapon ever, in some sense, a giant tungsten rod rocket. They could hit a city with the explosive power of an intercontinental ballistic missile. Excuse me. Uh, the system described in the 2003 United States Air Force report was that of 
20-foot-long, one-foot-diameter tungsten rods that are satellite-controlled, have global strike capability, and they have impact speeds of Mach 10. Uh, such a weapon could destroy a target basically anywhere on Earth with 15 minutes' notice. This is like some video game shit. Uh, there is no requirement to deploy missiles, aircraft, or other vehicles, so the system most cleverly is not prohibited by either the Outer Space Treaty or the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. Uh, the military had already been playing around with this type of technology. During the Vietnam War, the U.S. used what it's called uh, what it called lazy dog bombs. Uh, these were simply uh, solid steel pieces, less than two inches long, fitted with fins, or two inches uh, thick, fitted with fins. <laughs> two inches long would be pretty tight. Uh, they were they were not explosives. They were just simply dropped by the hundreds from planes flying above Vietnam, and these little projectiles they called it kin kinetic bombardment. They could reach speeds up to 500 miles an hour as they fell to the ground and could penetrate nine inches of concrete after being dropped from as little as 3,000 feet. Uh, the idea is like shooting bullets at a target, except instead of losing velocity as it travels, these projectiles gain velocity and then energy that will be expended on impact, creating roughly the same amount of damage as an actual explosive. Pretty cool science there. You know, back in Vietnam, they were just shotgunning a large swath of jungle, raining bullet-sized death at high speeds. Maybe they were two inches long. I thought that was a typo. I think I my nose, but I think that's actually right. There was a little tiny, little two inch long with fence. Yeah. And this is how Project Thor came to be. Uh, much, much bigger projectiles. These big rods could penetrate hundreds of feet into the earth. They could destroy any potential hardened bunkers or secret underground sites. And more than that, when these rods would hit, the explosion would be on par with the magnitude of a ground penetrating nuclear weapon, but with no fallout. Right? Just because of the, just the, the weight. And just the speed of impact is hitting would create a, an explosion of a sort, even though there's no explosive, uh, you know, components to the device. This could be the future of warfare, right? If it's ever developed, just cu currently uh, shooting tungsten rods from space, I think is still theoretical. I think maybe it still exists or maybe it already exists, excuse me. And it's just, uh, you know, classified. Speaking of the future of warfare, according to declassified documents, U.S. military was thinking about building a base on the moon way back in the 50s with Project Horizon. Right? Building a fucking moon base. Project Horizon was a study to determine the feasibility of constructing a military base on the moon. On June 8th, 1959, a group of the Army Ballistic Missile Agency, AMBA, or ABMA, excuse me, produced for the U.S. Department of the Army a report entitled Project Horizon, a U.S. Army study for the establishment of a lunar military outpost. Uh, here are 10 reasons the report gave for pursuing this plan. The report said that the establishment of a manned U.S. outpost on the moon would, one, demonstrate the U.S. scientific leadership in outer space, two, support scientific explorations and investigations, three, extend and improve space reconnaissance and surveillance capabilities and control of space, four, extend and improve communications and serve as a communications relay station, five, provide a basic and supporting research laboratory for space research and development activity, Six, develop a stable low-gravity outpost for use as a launch site for deep space exploration. Seven, provide an opportunity for scientific exploration and development of a space mapping and survey system. Eight, provide an emergency staging area, rescue capability, or navigational aid for other space activity. Nine, be super fucking cool and make every dude working on its dick super hard. Ten, really impress hot chicks at bars when you tell them you're a moon soldier. I may or may not have made up nine and ten. Uh, okay. All right, let's change things up a bit for a bit. And then we're going to get into some, uh, I think, the most interesting 
declassified information is at the back half of this uh, suck today. Uh, right now, let's look at the history of leaking sensitive info and look at some high-profile leakers during today's little baby of a time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. In December of 1772, Benjamin Franklin, I've heard of him. I, I used to think he was one of America's early presidents. Spoiler alert, he's not. Uh, in 1772, he was serving as Britain's postmaster general of the American colonies, and he anonymously received a packet of letters written to a British official by Thomas Hutchinson, the governor of Massachusetts. In the letters, Hutchinson agreed, uh, urged Britain to send additional troops to deter rebellious colonists in Boston. Franklin circulated the letters privately. He leaked that shit. And then John Adams had them published in the Boston Gazette in 1773, prompting a scandal. This forced Hutchinson to flee the country and fueled tensions that would lead directly to the Revolutionary War. When three innocent men were accused of leaking letters, Franklin admitted his role in the affair. He was publicly reprimanded by Parliament, dismissed as Postmaster General. Lucky they didn't hang him. If they had, he would have never become America's third president. Uh, he was never president. 1848, the reporter John Nugent, who I like to picture looking exactly like insane rocker Ted Nugent, published an unsigned copy of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which would conclude the two-year-long Mexican-American War in the New York Herald. Uh, questioned by a furious Senate, Nugent refused to reveal his source beyond insisting it was not a member of the Senate. He was kept under virtual house arrest at the Capitol for a month, but didn't crack and rat out his source. Ten years later, President James Buchanan gave Nugent a valuable commission to investigate possible developments in New Caledonia, now British Columbia. Evidence suggests that Buchanan, as Secretary of State, was the source of the earlier treaties leak. People have been leaking shit the whole time we've been a country. June 1971, the New York Times published a series of excerpts from a top-secret Department of Defense report about U.S. involvement in Vietnam between 1945 and 1967. Part of a study commissioned by Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara, the so-called Pentagon Papers, revealed that four successive presidential administrations had deliberately misled Congress and the American public about the scope, objectives, and progress of the Vietnam War. Daniel Ellsberg, a military analyst who opposed the war and had surreptitiously photocopied and leaked the documents, was prosecuted under the 1917 Espionage Act, but the judge later dismissed the charges. Exactly 40 years after the Pentagon Papers leaked, they were declassified and for the first time published in their entirety on the National Archives website. So you can check that, Google that if you want to find out more about that one. In mid-1972, five men were arrested for breaking into and trying to bug Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate Hotel Complex in Washington, D.C. Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward of the Washington Post were subsequently able to connect the break-in directly to President Richard Nixon's administration leading to a series of Senate hearings and eventually to Nixon's resignation in 1974. To get their story, Woodward and Bernstein relied heavily on information from an anonymous informant, a leak dubbed Deep Throat. The identity of the man responsible for exposing the biggest political scandal in U.S. history remained a secret for 33 years until in 2005, the former FBI agent Mark Felt revealed himself to be Deep Throat. In July 2003, Joseph Wilson who had been a CIA envoy to Niger in 2002, published an op-ed in the New York Times saying George W. Bush's claim that Iraq attempted to buy uranium from Niger, which the president used to build his case to justify invading Iraq, was unsubstantiated. Oh, my heck. This is actually a really big one. Less than two weeks later, political commentator Robert Novak wrote a column in the Washington Post in which he revealed that Wilson's wife, 
Valerie Plame was a CIA operative. With her cover blown, Plame's work with the agency was compromised, and Wilson accused the White House of leaking her identity to punish him. An investigation led by a special prosecutor interview, uh, by a special prosecutor interviewed Bush, Vice President Dick Cheney, and other officials, as well as a number of journalists. And in 2007, Lewis Scooter Libby, Cheney's chief of staff, was found guilty on counts of perjury, obstruction of justice, and making false statements during the investigation. Hello, scapegoat. President Bush later commuted his 30-month sentence. Must be nice. Uh, Libby wasn't the leaked source, however. Richard L. Armitage, a former deputy secretary of state, later acknowledged his conversation with Novak likely led to the article outing Plame. I've forgotten all about this until this week's research. Saddam Hussein was a bad dude, but the justification we used to invade his country was proven to be total bullshit. And I say that as someone who's glad he's dead, but the truth is the truth. Uh, Joseph Wilson uncovered a pretty unpleasant truth. In October 2002, Bush said that Saddam Hussein had a massive stockpile of biological weapons, but as CIA Director George Tenet noted in early 2004, the CIA had informed policymaker, policymakers it had no specific information on the types or quantities of weapons, agents, or stockpiles at Baghdad's disposal. The massive stockpile was literally just made up. When you're the president, you get to lie about a reason for going to war, a war that you know gets around 300,000 people killed and you don't even lose your job. You lie at your job, and if, and if it leads to one person getting killed, you are fucked. And again, I say this as someone who, who is glad we killed Saddam Hussein. And I, and I don't even hate President Bush. I liked his dad better, you know, than I liked him, but I, but I don't hate him. People forget about a lot of cool civil liberties shit he did, you know, accepted a record number of refugees, fought for immigrant rights, which is surprising, right, to hear. The media doesn't uh, report much on that or didn't. So yeah, I don't hate him. Also, uh, he was a mush mouth like me. I, I just hate uh, what big political leaders can do and get away with. Right, the rest of us do something like that. We get fucking hammered. They get to walk off uh, with uh, you know multi-million dollar retirement packages. Uh, October 2010, WikiLeaks posted nearly 400,000 classified military documents concerning the Iraq War, uh, a massive info dump that dwarfed its release of some 77,000 documents on the war in Afghanistan several months earlier. WikiLeaks founder, the Australian journalist Julian Assange, uh, shared the documents with the press, including the New York Times. Der Spiegel, The Guardian. Uh, among the revelations in the so-called Iraq war logs was evidence that the U.S. military deliberately ignored abuse of detainees by its Iraqi allies. And there were actually 15,000 more civilian casualties than previously acknowledged. And where did a lot of these WikiLeaks come from? From Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning, known as Private First Class Bradley Manning when she was serving in the U.S. Army, Army Intelligence as an analyst in Iraq, was later convicted under the Espionage Act for leaking this information. Sentenced to 35 years imprisonment, she had her sentence commuted by President Barack Obama in January 2017. WikiLeaks also released thousands of emails stolen from the computer systems of the Democratic National Committee in 2016. The emails sparked criticism of the committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign. On April 11, 2019, Assange was arrested by British authorities inside the Embassy of Ecuador in London. He faces an extradition hearing in England to determine if he will be sent to the United States to face 17 charges of spying one charge of conspiring to hack government computers in the 2010 leak. Another famous secret leaker, Edward Snowden, someone we could probably do a full suck on. Uh, 2013, Edward J. Snowden, technical contractor, former CIA employee, leaked classified details of a top-secret National Security Administration NSA electronic surveillance program, codenamed PRISM, to the Washington Post and to the Guardian. The information which Snowden obtained while working as a subcontractor for the NSA in Hawaii revealed that the NSA and FBI were collecting data, including email, chats, videos, photos, 
social networking information, uh, and more from ordinary internet users in the U.S. and abroad, possibly illegally, as in illegally. Uh, under, under fire for breach of privacy, President Obama's administration defended the surveillance program, claiming it helped prevent terrorist, terrorist attacks. Though some denounced Snowden as a traitor, many others supported his actions, calling him a whistleblower standing up for personal freedoms. After federal prosecutors charged Snowden under the Espionage Act, Russia gave him asylum. He remains there after several attempts to gain a presidential pardon have proven unsuccessful. We could do a whole suck, yeah, about Prism and Snowden. Privacy versus security. Snowden's leak really pushed this issue into the national conversation. Uh, revealed amongst other things was that a subsidiary of Verizon had turned over all of its logs to the NSA, logs tracking all of its customers' telephone calls. And while this happened under Obama's presidency, Prism began in 2007 in the wake of the passage of the PROTECT Act passed by the Bush administration. So don't go partisan on this one. Uh, Democrats and Republicans had a hand in all this. Man, it's a tricky issue. I mean, do you think the government should be able to listen in and track your personal phone calls? Doing that uh, could help prevent terrorist attacks and keep you safer for sure. The more surveillance there is, the harder it is to coordinate terrorist attacks, the harder it is to coordinate uh, criminal activity in general. However, this all would make it much easier to control the population should a despot ever come to power and have access to this technology. Right? Imagine if some Stalin-type leader came to power, had the ability to monitor, ev monitor everything you do, including your phone calls, emails, social media posts, messages, browser searches. Also, there's just the argument that you have a fund fundamental right to have some fucking privacy. Just like the government shouldn't be able to watch you take a shower or, or, or DJ your, your tugboat captain, maybe the government shouldn't be able to listen in on your phone calls either. Uh, to really dig into this privacy debate, we'd need to devote an entire suck to it. Uh, for today, let's pop out of this timeline. Uh, I told you just be a little fella, and let's get back to some, some more interesting declassified military documents. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Okay, we're going we're gonna to finish this out by looking into two big categories of information dumps, extreme government overreach and military war crimes. We'll, we'll start with Operation Sea Spray. Beginning on September 26, 1950, the crew of a U.S. Navy minesweeper ship spent six days spraying, uh, bear with me, Seratia, uh Marsicins. Marsis, yeah, yeah, I did it, I did it, yay, yay, I did it. Uh, spraying serratia marsicins into the air about two miles off the Northern California coast. The bacterium serratia marsicins lives in soil and water, best known for its ability to produce bright red pigment. This flashy trait makes this particular microbe useful in experiments. You know, it's so bright, it's easy to see where it is. Uh, the project was called Operation Sea Spray, and its aim was to determine the susceptibility of a big city like San Francisco to a bioweapon attack by terrorists. Following days, the military took samples at 43 sites to track the bacteria spread, found that it had quickly infested not only the city, but the surrounding suburbs as well. During the test, residents of these areas would have inhaled millions of bacterial spores. Clearly, their test showed San Francisco and cities with similar size and topography could face germ warfare threats. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is this test uh, killed at least one dude. It made a bunch of other people sick because uh, Seratia uh, marisins, or marisins is also just not good for you. And, it, and it's not just a, a thing that can easily be seen. It's bad for you. In testing for biological warfare, the U.S. government accidentally engaged in a little bit of biological warfare against its own citizens, then tried to hide the fact that it did this. At the time, the U.S. military thought that the serratia could not harm humans. The bug was, again, mostly known for just being, you know, uh, bright red and easy to see. It, uh, that this, this all changed, our understanding of this changed when 
A week after the test, 11 local residents checked into a Stanford University hospital complaining of urinary tract infections. And who knows how many other people saw various other doctors. Uh, Upon testing their pee, uh, the doctors noticed that the pathogen had a red hue. After scientists identified the microbe, the cases collectively became the first recorded outbreak of serratia marcescens. One patient, a man named Edward Nevin, who was recovering from prostate surgery, died. Some have suggested that the release forever changed the area's microbial ecology as well. Uh, And then the military performed similar tests in other cities across the country for almost 20 years, getting who knows how many other people sick, perhaps killing other people, uh, stopping only when President Richard Nixon halted all germ warfare research in 1969. The San Francisco experiment did not become public knowledge until 1976. Excuse me. Man, gosh, what were they thinking? Sorry, Sorry about that, guys. We're just trying to keep you safe by spraying your cities with bacteria. Who, who could have known that would backfire? So it's almost like we should have ran more tests or something before we did that. You ready to spray down the base, son? Uh, yes, sir. But, sir, do you think that maybe we should learn a bit more about this stuff, sir? Maybe find out if it is bad for citizens or not. You some kind of nerd, son? N- no, sir. Not a nerd, sir. Well, then shut the fuck up about tests, son. Tests are for nerds. We don't test shit. We do shit. You hear me, you fucking maggot? You fucking beaker-loving nerd? You communist? You bunch and burner, number-crunching shit nerd? I will shit in your mouth, private. I will test your ability to eat my shit. Do you understand me, son? Not not really, sir. Things have escalated very quickly, sir. I'm quite confused, sir. Sorry, private. I got into character too hard when I started yelling and just kind of kept going. Okay, I'm back now. Uh, <laughs> this next test on human story. One of the worst secrets America has ever kept that we know of. The Tuskegee, Tusk, God damn it. Tuskegee, syphilis experiment. That word, I have so many, I went over all these words so many times. The Tuskegee syphilis experiment. July 25th, 1972, the public learned that over the course of the previous 40 years, a government medical experiment conducted in the Tuskegee, Alabama area, had allowed hundreds of African-American men with syphilis to go untreated so that scientists could study the effects of the disease. Jesus. Uh, The experiment had been launched by and carried out by the United States Public Health Service uh, of about 600 Alabama black men who originally took part in the study. 200 or so were allowed to suffer the disease and its side effects without treatment, even after penicillin was discovered as a cure for syphilis. That's what the Associated Press reported when it broke this story. And then the U.S. Public Health Service officials said that survivors of the experiment were now too old to be treated for syphilis. Nice. Sorry, fellas. Whoopsies. Sorry about four decades of syphilis. Is it too late to say JK? By the end of the study in 1972, only 74 of the test subjects were alive. Of the original 399 men, 28 had died of syphilis. 100 were dead of related complications. And because the study's length and the way treatment options had evolved in the intervening years, it it was hard to pin the blame on an individual, so really no one got in any trouble. The doctors that launched the study were already retired or dead by the time anybody knew what went on. One of the masterminds of this experiment, Thomas Perrin Jr., after kicking off this experiment, actually went on to become the sixth Surgeon General of the United States. From 1936 to 1948, he was the main man tasked with keeping Americans healthy. So fucked up, so blatantly, horrifically racist. These poor bastards. Participants were told back in 1932 that they were going to be given free medical care and free meals. 600 impoverished African-American sharecroppers from Macon County, Alabama were told that. 399 of them had syphilis. 201 did not, the control group. These guys were told this study was going to last for six months. A little bit of a lie because it lasted for 40 fucking years. 
None of these 399 men who had syphilis, syphilis were told they had it. So they were never offered proper treatment by the doctors who knew they had it. They were told they had bad blood, a colloquialism that can mean anything from anemia to just not feeling good because of who knows how, you know, who knows why. Uh, by 1947, penicillin had been determined to be an effective cure for syphilis, and these men were never offered that cure. Doctors intentionally withheld this information. Also, also researchers uh, went out of their way to prevent those who had been infected from receiving treatment at other area clinics. When a number of these men were drafted in service or drafted for service in World War II and were found to have syphilis by army doctors, researchers contacted those doctors, told the army not to treat them. Also, at least 40 of the men's wives also ended up with syphilis. At least uh, 19 kids were born with syphilis. 1977, President Clinton apologized on behalf of the U.S. government for this experiment. And, and he should have, since his wife, Hillary Clinton, obviously came up with the whole thing. Because she was definitely alive back in 1932 because she's an immortal demon. Wait, no, wait, 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 wait. I'm not Alex Jones. Forget about that. Uh, how did researchers ever justify this? Well, first off, they were obviously very racist. They didn't really care about these guys because they were black. Uh, apparently, they also reasoned that they were not harming these black men uh, because these guys were unlikely in their minds to get treatment for their syphilis anyway. So fucked up. Now, they're too poor to see a doctor. So, uh, you know, so fuck them. Fuck them. Uh, fuck the oath we took. What was it called? A hypocritical oath? I don't care. I have my fingers crossed anyway. Let's just get, let them get really, really sick and just die. You know, just let them be human lab rats. Just lab rats, just for funsies. Uh, some of these men did seek treatment. They did ask for penicillin from other area doctors. They were told they were given it. Nope. They were just given a placebo instead. And did anyone get in any legal trouble for this? As I said earlier, no. Uh, some, some people did get some money as part of a settlement of a class action lawsuit subsequently filed by the NAACP on behalf of study participants and their descendants. The U.S. government paid $10 million, $51.8 million in 2019 dollars. The government agreed to provide free medical treatment to surviving participants, which there wasn't that many, and to surviving family members infected. Also, Congress created a commission empowered to write regulations to deter such abuse from occurring in the future. Uh, this experiment further shattered trust in the government uh, and many African-American communities, and rightly so. Man, syphilis, no joke. Shortly after getting infected, the first symptom is a sore, right? This, like, like this canker. In its next early stages, syphilis symptoms uh, can include swollen eyes, kidney, liver, spleen, bone or joints, uh, you know, pain in these areas, uh, fever, weight loss, muscle ache, loss of appetite. In the final stages, symptoms can include internal organ damage, can be brain, nerves, eyes, heart, blood vessels, liver, bones, joints, loss of motor skills, paralysis, numbness, gradual blindness, dementia, mental illness. It can just rot your brain out of your head. It's a serious illness. Okay, next atrocity, Operation LAC, large area coverage. An operation that makes conspiracy nuts ranting about chemtrails seem a lot more credible than I would like them to seem. In the 1950s and 60s, the U.S. military conducted top secret experiments on the citizens of the U.S. and Canada, crop dusting with potentially toxic chemicals from coast to coast uh, to again simulate a biological weapons attack. And St. Louis, Missouri may have gotten the worst of it. For years, St. Louis residents were exposed to radioactive compounds, a researcher is claiming. While it is uh, known that the government sprayed harmless zinc cadmium sulfide particles over the general population in St. Louis, Professor Lisa Martino, Martino Taylor a sociologist at St. Louis Community College claims that a radioactive additive was also mixed in with the compound. She has accrued detailed descriptions as well as photographs of the spraying which exposed or which exposed the unwitting public, predominantly in low-income and minority communities, 
to radioactive particles. I feel like I've forgotten how to talk today. Every word seems challenging right now. Uh, the study was secretive for a reason. They didn't have volunteers stepping up and saying, yeah, I'll breathe zinc cadmium sulfide with radioactive particles, said Professor Martino Taylor, uh, who I love. Uh, through her research, she found photographs of how the particles were distributed from 1953 to 1954, and then again from 1963 to 1965. And it didn't just happen in St. Louis. In Corpus Christi, the chemical was dropped from airplanes over large swaths of that city. Uh, in St. Louis, the Army put chemical sprayers on buildings, uh, like schools and public housing projects, mounted them in station wagons for mobile use, just spraying the fucking shit out of everybody. Uh, despite the extent of the experiment, local politicians were not notified about the content of the testing. The people of St. Louis were told that the army was testing smoke screens to protect cities from a Russian attack when really they were being sprayed down with chemicals. Uh, it was pretty shocking, the level of duplicity and secrecy. Clearly, they went to great lengths to deceive people, Professor Martino Taylor said. Yeah, she, she accrued hundreds of pages of declassified information, which she has made available online. In her research, she found that the greatest concentration of spraying in St. Louis was at the Pruitt-Igo Public Housing Complex, home to 10,000 low-income residents. She said that 70% of those residents were children under the age of 12. And uh, she says this was a violation of all medical ethics, all international codes, and the military's own policy at the time. There is a lot of evidence that shows people in St. Louis and the city in particular uh, in, in particular, minority communities were sub subjected to military testing that was connected to a larger radiological weapons testing project. This, you know, this suck is just full of so many goddamn big words. I never feel mentally prepared. Like, I, I always feel surprised, I guess is what I'm trying to think. Because I read this stuff over and over again. It's not like I have time to, to uh, rehearse two and a half hour podcasts. I don't know what maniac does that. But then sometimes you get in here and you're like, oh, this shit is way harder to say in a fluid way than it is to read. Okay, this next one might be even scarier. Very Illuminati-esque. A U.S. propaganda operation I did not know about. Kind of wish I, I didn't know about. Government-sponsored fake news. There's a saying that the media doesn't tell you what to think, but what to think about. This is a pretty good example of the government working with media to get you to think uh, about what they want you to think about. Let's talk about Operation Mockingbird. Uh, following the Second World War, the CIA was able to gain control over what was being published not only in the USA, but more in general across the globe. It influenced what the public should be allowed to see, what should be concealed, helped determine what the public saw, heard, and read on a daily basis. Operation Mockingbird was a United States CIA campaign that aimed not only to influence the media, but also infiltrate it. Starting in the 1950s, the CIA recruited journalists, editors, and students in order to write and promulgate, uh, uh, promulgate, Ah, false stories. The CIA's stories were pure propaganda and their employees were paid huge salaries in order to promote fake news. Essentially, the CIA managed to control both national and international newspapers through good old-fashioned bribes. During the 50s, the director of the CIA, Alan W. Dulles, and his CIA cohort, Cord Meyer, devised and organized a propaganda outreach program. They recruited leading American journalists into a network in order to, prom uh, in order to you know, push the CIA's views. Uh, allegedly, more than a billion dollars were being invested annually for several years in this propaganda program. The full scope of this program uh, has never been declassified fully. The CIA's writers were generously, uh, you know, uh, paid. They were There were no limits on how much money they could receive. Sometimes they were paid more than half a million dollars to spread the information given to them by the CIA. When the CIA got caught, they did not reveal the newspapers, the names of journalists with whom they had collaborated with in the past. In 1975, the CIA admitted their manipulation of mainstream media in order to forge and redirect the opinions of American citizens. They admitted that information was distorted in order to fit specific agendas. That's fucking, that's pretty, that's pretty heavy. Check out this report excerpt 
published by the U.S. Uh, Congress in 1976. It says the CIA currently maintains a network of several hundred foreign individuals around the world who provide intelligence for the CIA and at times attempt to influence opinion through the use of covert propaganda. These individuals provide the CIA with direct access to a large number of newspapers and periodicals, scores of press services and news agencies, radio and television stations, commercial book publishers, and other foreign media outlets. Although in 1975, George H.W. Bush publicly ended the CIA relations with the U.S. media, the CIA is still believed to be actively involved with foreign news organizations, which in turn feed the U.S. media with information. Uh, this project has not been officially discontinued. Man, conspiracy theorists looking less and less crazy. God damn it. This suck is shaking my brain up. There's just so much information in this one. It's messing with my head in ways I don't like. I don't like that this happened. I don't like that we don't know to the uh, extent to which it happened. CIA, man, they are the one group that I worry about the most when it comes to conspiracies. Now I'm even more convinced those fuckers killed Kennedy. Not even kidding. If you want to know more of my thoughts concerning that conspiracy, I did a two-parter on the JFK assassination, Suck 38, bonus Suck 6. First, MK Ultra. Now this. What, what is the CIA up to now? Man, the CIA must love all the wackadoodle conspiracy shit floating around on the web. People talking about lizard Illuminati and Knights Templars, hiding magical treasure, satanic pedophile rings. You know, they probably have agents assigned to disinformation strategies or campaigns stoking those fires. Not even kidding. I bet they actually do. Keep conspiracy-minded folk distracted by all that bullshit while they actually do fuck with us and fuck with other nations in various nefarious ways. Damn it, Nimrod, let the, let the truth be revealed. What are they up to? Is David Icke a CIA operative? And we haven't even talked about uh, COINTELPRO yet, but we will. Right after an Idiots of the Internet about Operation Mockingbird, where I can't tell who is being idiotic anymore because my brain is ruined. Okay, seven years ago, user HajDuck28 posted a clip from a 1975 House Intelligence Committee hearing where the CIA admits to Operation Mockingbird. The CIA admits to bribing the media. The president of CBS admits to being contacted by the CIA to, to uh, where the CIA wanted to influence the media. Uh, Tyler Durden, nice, nice Fight Club reference, posts, there is no conspiracy, only truth you choose not to accept. And I would have laughed that off completely three days ago. Now, not so much. I don't think all conspiracies are real because we know, you know, uh, just because we know that some are real. That's a logical fallacy. To think that because, okay, a few conspiracies were real, now they must all be real. But way more seem to be real than I would like. Okay, Tyler Durden, uh, with you on this one more than I would like to be, more than I used to be. Uh, Deborah Veal posts, I remember in sixth grade when the teacher was explaining communism and false information spreading through their printed history books and media, I asked, how do we know our government is not doing the very same thing to us? Teacher wasn't too happy with that question. And well, I can't make fun of this. Uh, you were right, Deborah. You're right. Don't let them keep you quiet. Mighty Matt 28 posts what a lot of people have posted variations of in this thread. Is Anderson Cooper pay, uh, being paid by the CIA? Get the fuck. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe now. Maybe he is. How insane is that to think about? That, that one of our most famous news personalities or several of them could actually be CIA puppets. I mean, you know, stuff happens. I miss the good old days, like three days ago when all this stuff seemed stupid to me. Uh, Mr. Steel Duck Post, golly gosh, I'm glad none of that goes on today. Ha <laughs> ha, me, me too, Mr. Steel. Oh, oh, but dang it. Okay, that was sarcasm. Ah, okay. Uh, Dylan MC2, 
goes after a lot of uh, partisan sniping in the comment thread and posts. For those of you throwing blame on left-wing or right-wing media, you clearly don't get the message of the video. Propaganda is in all political media. And I don't know about all. I don't like, I don't li like language like all or none, but uh, you know, I don't think if we're still being manipulated that it's just coming from either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Way more likely to me that it's coming from both. And that a lot of the arguing is just a smokescreen to hide the real truth. God damn it, now I'm, I'm sounding like a fucking conspiracy nut again. Maybe I'm the idiot. I dug too deep. Now I'm going to be an idiot of the internet. It was, it was a good run. Uh, set mind in motion posts. Yeah, and what was one of the most promoted books post-World War II? To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, all right. This this seems a little bit too far. I mean, what are you even saying here? Mind in motion that this, uh, that this title proves that the CIA was hiding in plain sight or that Harper Lee was trying to tell us that uh, we should kill the CIA or that she was telling, telling us to, to kill the media or that she was in the CIA. Uh, you're ruining what I thought was a very credible thread with your, with your too far bullshit. Um, but man, but how, but how do a lot of these comments look like now, you know, I haven't gotten totally crazy by the way. I, I know a lot of conspiracies promoted on the web, like Nazis live on the moon are just playing crazy, but a lot of the shit that looks crazy, maybe it isn't real crazy conspiracies, you know, uh, have turned out to be true. Most of them have happened, uh, quite some time ago that we know about, but what are we going to learn about in, in 25 years? You know, are, are, are we going to learn that I was the real idiot of the internet this, this entire time? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. My brain is melting with all this stuff. Now let's talk about COINTELPRO. Uh, the FBI be began COINTELPRO short for Counterintelligence Program. It's C-O-I-N-T-E-L-P-R-O. Uh, in 1956 to disrupt the activities of the Communist Party in the United States. And also to fuck with a lot of African-Americans who had nothing to do with communism. Its stated aim was the to spy on, infiltrate, discredit, disrupt, and destroy domestic organizations and individuals it, con it considered subversive. According to the FBI, Intensified attention under this program should be afforded to the activities of such groups as the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Revolutionary Action Movement, the Deacons for Defense and Justice, Congress of Racial Equality, and the Nation of Islam. Basically, if you dared to question the government and didn't just do what you were told and accept the status quo, J. Edgar Hoover and his goons were going to take a big old shit in your lunchbox. In the 1960s, the focus of COINTELPRO was expanded to include a number of other domestic groups— such as the Ku Klux Klan, the Socialist Workers' Party, and the Black Panthers' Party. On March 8, 1971, a group of anonymous activists broke into the small two-man office of the FBI in Media, Pennsylvania, stole more than 1,000 FBI documents that revealed years of systematic wiretapping, infiltration, and media manipulation designed to suppress American dissent. Uh, the Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI, as the group called itself, forced its way in at night with a crowbar while much of the country was watching the Muhammad Ali-Joe Frazier fight. When agents arrived for work the next morning, they found the file cabinets virtually empty. Within a few weeks, the documents began to show up, mailed anonymously in manila envelopes with no return address in the newsrooms of major American newspapers. COINTELPRO tactics included discrediting targets through psychological warfare, planting false reports in the media, smearing through forged letters, harassment, wrongful imprisonment, extra-legal violence, and even allegedly assassination. I mean, these motherfuckers were ruthless in this. And this, this is happening to uh, American citizens, again, at the hand of, hands of its own government. Covert operations under COINTELPRO took place between 1956 and 1971. Many believe COINTELPRO operatives had a hand in the deaths of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and many others. 
right? That they were carrying out assassinations like JFK. Seriously, though, here on American soil. Allegedly, all COINTELPRO operations ended in 1971, although limited in scope, about two-tenths of 1% of the FBI's workload over a 15-year period. COINTELPRO was later rightfully criticized by Congress and the American people for abridging First Amendment rights and for other reasons. Man, is this shit still going on? Tinfoil hat wearers looking more credible to me right now. Is, is Reverend Dr. Horsecock Johnson Paisley a CIA or FBI operative? Is his ween wiretapped? Is the script keeper feeding me disinformation? Is the queen of the suck a dirty Polish spy? I am feeling a little bit paranoid with this, with this suck. Uh, now let's talk about how the U.S. government secretly sterilized thousands of citizens. 1976, the U.S. government admitted authorized sterilization of Native American women. A study by, uh, you know, or American Indian, American Indian women, a study by the U.S. General Accounting Office found that four of the 12 Indian Health Service regions sterilized 3,406 American Indian women without their permission between 1973 and 1976. The GAO found that 36 women under age 21 were sterilized during this period, despite a court-ordered moratorium on sterilizations of women that age. Two years earlier, an independent study by Dr. Connie Pinkerton Urey, Choctaw Cherokee, found that one in four American Indian women had been sterilized without their consent. Pinkerton Urey's research uh, indicated that the Indian Health Service had singled out full-blooded Indian women for sterilization procedures. These young women received tubal ligations when they were supposed to be getting appendectomies. What the fuck? Coerced sterilization is a shameful part of America's history. One does not have to go too far back to find other examples of it. Uh, used as a means of controlling populations considered undesirable immigrants, people of color, poor people, unmarried mothers, the disabled, the mentally ill, federally funded sterilization programs took place in 32 states throughout the 20th century. Beginning in 1909, continuing for 70 years, California led the country in the number of sterilization procedures performed on men and women, often without their knowledge and consent. Approximately 20,000 sterilizations took place in state institutions comprising one-third of the total number performed in the 32 states where this such action was legal. Uh, and this is another su subject where there was just so much information, it, ju it just might need its own suck in the future. Uh, I don't, I don't want to dwell on one example too long today. I just want to show the totality or known totality uh, of all these secrets, just to remind us that we should never fully trust the powers that be. The government is not your friend, right? They don't have to be your enemy either. There's a lot of good being done by the American government too. A lot of, a lot of good being done by the military. A lot, of, a lot of good being done in various state-sponsored programs. A lot of good social programs. The overwhelming majority of work done by the government, I do think, seems to be very good. But don't let that lull you into some false sense of security where you think, oh, whatever they say. Oh, if it's a law, I'll follow it. If they say it's good, I guess it's good then. Nope. We got to keep our eye on our bureaucratic overlords because from time to time, you know, this suck shows they for sure fuck with us. Uh, now our declassified sucks heads, heads into the military massacres and war crimes that have been covered up. Just going to do uh, two little uh, incidents here. Let's head to Vietnam. There were more than a few war crimes that occurred during the Vietnam War. Declassified documents detail 320 alleged illegal incidents that were substantiated by Army investigators, not including the most notorious U.S. atrocity, the 1968 My Lai Massacre. Records describe recurrent attacks on ordinary Vietnamese, families in their homes, farmers in rice paddies, teenagers out fishing. Hundreds of soldiers in interviews with investigators and letters to commanders described a violent minority of U.S. military members who murdered, raped, and tortured Vietnamese with impunity. Abuses were not confined, confined to a few rogue units that were uncovered in every army division that operated in Vietnam. 
There were seven massacres from 1967 to 1971 in which at least 137 civilians died in each one. There were 78 other attacks on non-combatants in which at least 57 were killed. Yee, 56 wounded, 15 sexually assaulted. There were 141 instances in which U.S. soldiers tortured civilian detainees or prisoners of war with fists, sticks, bats, water, or electric shock. Uh, now let's talk about the most famous of these atrocities, the uh, My, uh, My Lai Massacre. A company of American soldiers brutally killed most of the people, women, children, and old men in the village of Milai on March 16, 1968. More than 500 people were slaughtered in the Milai Massacre, including young girls, women who were raped, sometimes gang raped, sometimes mutilated before being killed. A variety of U.S. Army officers covered up the carnage for a year because they knew the truth getting out would be detrimental to the war effort there, which is what happened uh, when the AP reporter broke the story the following year. Uh, this shit is going to get real dark for a bit. Buckle up. Small village of Milai is located in the Quang Nagai province, which was believed to be a stronghold of the Communist National Liberation Front, NLF, and uh, the Viet Cong, VC, during the Vietnam War. The province was a frequent target of U.S. and South Vietnamese bombing attacks. The entire region had already been heavily strafed with Agent Orange, right? The deadly herbicide before this massacre took place. Sounds like it was a fucking terrible place to live if you were just some random farmer just trying to keep food on the table for the family. Uh, in March of 1968, Charlie Company, part of the American Division's 11th Infantry Brigade, received word that VC guerrillas had taken control of the neighboring village of San Mai. Charlie Company went into the area on March 16th on a search and destroy mission. Charlie Company had lost some 28 of its members to death or injuries. They were down to just over 100 men, and some of the soldiers were desperately wanting to dish out some payback. Army commanders had advised the soldiers of Charlie Company that any Vietnamese found in the Sun Mai area could be considered VC or active VC sympathizers. They were ordered to destroy that particular village. When the company arrived shortly after dawn, the soldiers, led by Lieutenant William Calley, found no Viet Cong. Instead, they came across a quiet village of primarily women, children, and older men preparing their breakfast rice. And Callie decided that these obvious non-combatants needed to die. The villagers were rounded up into groups as the soldiers inspected their huts. Despite finding only a few weapons, weapons none of the villagers attempted to access, Callie ordered his men to just shoot them down. Some of the soldiers refused to follow his command. And then Callie himself opened fire, shooting at men, women, and children indiscriminately. Mothers who were shielding their children were shot. When their children tried to run away, they too were slaughtered. Huts were set on fire. Anyone inside who tried to escape was gunned down. Sergeant, Sergeant Michael Bernhardt, a soldier at the scene, later told a reporter, I saw them shoot an M79 grenade launcher into a group of people who were still alive, but it was mostly done with the machine gun. They were shooting women and children just like anybody else. Bernhardt said, we met no resistance and I only saw three captured weapons. We had no casualties. It was just like any other Vietnamese village, old papasans, women, and kids. As a matter of fact, I don't remember seeing one military-aged male in the entire place dead or alive. In addition to killing unarmed men, women, and children, the soldiers slaughtered countless livestock, raped an unknown number of women, burned the village to the ground. There are pictures online of these villagers taken just after some of them had been raped, taken seconds before they were slaughtered, and they will fucking haunt you. I do not re recommend you look at them. I wish I hadn't. Uh, truly hate my curiosity sometimes. Callie was reported to have dragged dozens of people, including young children, into a ditch before executing them with the machine gun. Not a single shot was fired against the men of Charlie Company at Milai. Uh, and he would have gone on to butcher others that day if not for the heroic actions of Warrant Officer Hugh Thompson, an Army helicopter pilot. Officer Thompson was on a reconnaissance mission in the area, saw what was happening, 
landed his aircraft between the soldiers and the retreating villagers, threatened to open fire on his fellow soldiers, on Callie and his men, if they continued with their attacks. Thompson stated at a uh, Milai conference at Tulane University in 1994, we kept flying back and forth, and it didn't take very long until we started noticing the large number of bodies everywhere. Everywhere we'd look, we'd see bodies. These were infants, two, three, four, five-year-olds, women, very old men, no draft-age people whatsoever. Uh, Thompson and his crew flew dozens of survivors to receive medical care. In 1998, Thompson and two other members of his crew received the Soldier's Medal, the U.S. Army's highest award for bravery not involving direct contact with the enemy. By the time the Milai massacre ended, 504 people were dead. Among the victims, 182 women, 17 of them pregnant, and, and 173 children, including 56 babies. And it was covered up. And then Ron, Ron Riddenhauer, a soldier in the 11th Brigade who had heard reports of the massacre but had not participated, began a campaign to bring the events to light. After writing letters to, the pre to President Richard M. Nixon, the Pentagon, State Department, Joint Chiefs of Staff, and several congressmen, and getting no response, Riddenhauer finally gave an interview to the investigative journalist Seymour Hersh, who broke the story in November of 1969. The Army would later charge only 14 men, including Callie, Captain Ernest Medina, and Colonel Oren Henderson, with crimes related to the events at Milai. All were acquitted except for Callie, who was found guilty of premeditated murder for ordering the shootings. In March 1971, Callie was given a life sentence for his role uh, at directing the killings at Milai. Many saw Callie as a scapegoat, though, and his sentence was reduced upon appeal to 20 years, later to 10, and then he was paroled in 1974. On May 15, 1976, Callie married Penny Vick, the daughter of a Columbus, Georgia jewelry owner, jewelry store owner. Uh, Callie worked at his father-in-law's store, became a gem uh, gemologist, and the couple had one son. On August 19th, 2009, while speaking to the Kiwanis Club of Greater Columbus, Callie issued an apology for his role at the Milai Massacre, saying, there is not a day that goes by that I do not feel remorse for what happened that day in Milai. I feel remorse for the Vietnamese who were killed, for their families, for the American soldiers involved, and their families. I am very sorry. Later investigations have revealed that the slaughter at Milai was not an isolated incident. Other atrocities, such as a similar massacre of villagers at Mai Ki, are less well known. A notorious military operation called Speedy Express killed thousands of Vietnamese civilians in the Mekong Delta, earning the commander of the operation, Major General Julian Ewell, or, or Ewell the nickname the Butcher of the Delta. Man, Jesus Christ. I mean, if, I mean, if we're going to criticize Nazis for some of the shit that they did in World War II, we got to be able to criticize our own military when it goes that far. Uh, you know, it seems as if a few bad apples over in Vietnam went way too fucking far. Uh, many defended Cali on the ground that citizens, you know, women and children would suddenly attack soldiers out of the blue all the time. And, and you couldn't know what kids or women were going to do that. But how does that defense, you know, uh, apply to uh, charges also of a bunch of raping that supposedly happened that day? I mean, you just can't defend it. What a terrible thing for those villagers. And also, what, what a terrible thing for the soldiers who were with Callie that day but didn't fire. Talk about a tough spot. You can either shoot your own officer, maybe die in a military prison, or you can watch kids be killed and women be raped and killed. So thankful I don't have to live with memories of something like that, man. All right, one more. Operation Popeye. Operation Popeye was a secret five-year-old scientific experiment designed to find out if chugging cans of spinach could provide U.S. soldiers fighting in Vietnam with super strength and massive forearms. Uh, no, Operation Popeye was a secret five-year-old cloud seeding operation meant to lengthen the monsoon season in Vietnam, destabilize the enemy, and allow the U.S. to win the war. Its stated objective to ensure Americans won the Vietnam War would not be realized. 
But the U.S. government really did try to play God with weather-altering warfare. The Nixon administration distracted, denied, and it seems outright lied to Congress about this. But reporters published damning stories about rain being used as a weapon. And the Pentagon ended up leaking some previously classified details. Eventually, the federal government would declassify its Popeye documents. International laws aimed at preventing similar projects would be put on the books. Operation Popeye was based around this premise of cloud seeding. Cloud seeding is a method for artificially stimulating precipitation, like rain or snow. The practice is thought to have originated in 1946. While experimenting with dry ice, Vincent Schaefer, a self-taught chemist employed by General Electric, made a big discovery. He noticed that cloud condensation nuclei, tiny particles around which water condensates, could be artificially produced to create rain and snow. Schaefer put his discovery to the test by seeding the clouds over the Berkshire Mountains in Massachusetts and supposedly successfully created precipitation. He was hailed as the first person to actually do something about the weather and not just talk about it, the New York Times wrote in his obituary. Uh, during their top secret briefing on Popeye, uh, U.S. were told that uh, taxpayers paid, without their knowledge, some $3.6 million a year to fund this operation, about $23 million a year in today's dollars. Popeye's success was certainly limited, also fundamentally unverifiable. Despite 80 years of cloud seeding efforts, rigorous research aimed at proving or disproving its effectiveness is still underway. Uh, at least that's what we're being told. Man, this suck is going to mess with my head for a while. Maybe the CIA is dicking around with the weather too. It's not like they're going to tell us. Uh, and that's all the declassified or leaked info we can talk about today. It really does kind of make my head spin after a while. Uh, with all the information out there, all the info that's still being uncovered, we can do several versions of this episode. The U.S. government has released files on a number of U.S.-sponsored coups, military mishaps, flat-out lies, from weapons of mass destruction in Iraq to selling drugs in inner cities to funding coups in South America to a number of secrets involving foreign intelligence in almost every country in the world. Declassified military documents is an endless topic. Just like we went over a ton of them in previous sucks like the MK Ultra, I'm sure we'll have more sucks in the future going in-depth on one of these issues. Uh, like the CIA's role in creating a crack epidemic in LA in the 1980s. I feel like shit like that doesn't sound that crazy after hearing about all this other stuff. What other secrets are happening under our noses today that will likely be declassified decades from now? What other conspiracies are the tinfoil hatters 100% correct about? You know, they were right about the CIA testing uh, on, on you know American citizens without their knowledge. They were right about the Gulf of Tonkin. They were right about the NSA spying on most Americans. Oh, man, I learned so much this suck. Hope you did too. This episode was loaded with info I'd either never heard about before or never looked into before. From dropping cat bombs to almost nuking North Carolina to the Tuskegee syphilis experiment to the CIA bribing journalists to shape the news and so much more, we got to keep an eye on Big Brother. That's mostly what I was reminded about today. Holy shit. I was also reminded that in some cases, secrecy is very important. Like with our nuke programs, we should keep that stuff top secret. We should not be allowed into Area 51 if it would fuck with our national security. Uh, we should also probably keep in mind that despite the crimes of the past and almost certainly some in the present, most of the people that work in the sensitive parts of our government likely have either good or benign intentions. Our law enforcement and military and intelligence agencies do amazing work. They're amongst the best in the world. I know we have some time suckers in the CIA. I've met them. Seem like good peeps. Please don't ruin my life with some mis misinformation or some kind of discrediting propaganda campaign. Scare the shit out of me. If I said anything that really bothered you, I was, I was, <laughs> I was chicken. Come on. Gosh dang. I was lying about a lot of this stuff. I'm a, I'm a goofball. <laughs> I'm just a harmless goofball. Uh, I forget what I said earlier, meat sacks. Uh, anything I said that was, that sounded bad. It was not true. It's all me. Uh, always trust the government. Don't complain. Don't dig. If something doesn't make sense to you, then forget about it. Just let it go. 
everybody has good intentions, you know? Listen to Michael McDonald, eat Wheaties, say your prayers, keep your head down, uh, clap when your team makes a touchdown, uh, go along with the crowd. <laughs> and uh, time now for top five takeaways. Time suck, top five takeaways. Number one, the U.S. government almost accidentally nuked North Carolina. Thanks to one faulty switch, we avoided what could have been one of our darkest days. Number two, ethnic minorities in America have more reasons than the rest of us to be uh, more than a little skeptical of the U.S. government's intentions from infiltrating minority groups, uh, you know, and, and possibly assassinating leaders to the Tuskegee syphilis uh, experiments to uh, fucking forced sterilization. Man, some of these stories are absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, number three, in the high atmosphere testing of nuclear weapons, we almost broke the sky. Jenky Transformer Starfish Prime set off an EMP that altered the Earth's atmosphere for a while. Let's not do that again, please. Number four, the government really had a hard-on for a while when it came to weaponizing cats. Still not sure why. Don't know who was all about that. We heard about both cyborg kitties developed for spine and about turning cats into shitty smart bombs. And number five, new info, one more leak, a good one, an intentional one. Have you ever heard of Operation Mincemeat? Operation Mincemeat was a leak planned and executed successfully by the Allies during World War II. The planned part of the larger Operation Barclay was intended to make the Germans think the Allies were planning to invade Greece and Sardinia instead of Sicily. The Allies put fake top-secret invasion plans on a dead body that was left to wash up on a beach in Spain, and the plan worked. The Germans found the body, copied the fake plans. The trickery made the Germans suspicious, so they ignored other real intelligence leaks, thinking that those were ruses. Ah, oh, man, what the fuck a bummer! I wonder how Carl never found out about the naughty trickery. Had such a wonderful mind. I wonder why he never talked to the ice giants in today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Declassified military documents. Ah, it has been sucked. Now my mind is going to be fragile for weeks. Great. Thanks to the Time Suck team. Hopefully none of them are fucking spies. Thanks to the Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins. Polish, can't trust her. High Priest of the Suck, Harmony Velikamp. Seems unstable at times, you know, with her High Priestess stuff. I follow her on Instagram. I don't know if I can trust her. She's probably a plant. Reverend Dr. Paisley. Fucking definitely can't trust him now. Spy! Ah, he's a spy for sure. He's fucking doing stuff all the time around here I don't know about. The Bit Elixir app design crew spies. Logan and Kate at Spicy Club. Fucking spies. Go to our store, badmagicmerch.com if you want to buy spy stuff. And then we have another spy. Script Keeper Zach Flannery. Uh, but for real, uh, check, check out the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group. If you want to make some cult member friends, probably spies, uh, if you want to get more social in 2020, we now have more than 15,000 members in there. Pretty soon, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a little city. It's going to be a virtual city of, uh, spies and time suckers. Uh, you can also bounce over to the time suck discord channel. We got about 5,000 diehard suckers in there now. Sweet. Follow us on Instagram at time suck podcast for some silliness. Next week, uh, we get away from silly, and we get pretty dark. It's one of our darkest topics yet. Uh, one that felt way too real for me since it happened in my own little backyard, so to speak. We're going to be talking about serial killer, really terrible human being, Joseph Duncan, a man that among other horrible deeds he committed that included uh, multiple rapes and murders, he also destroyed a family here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, back in 2005. After skipping bail on an upcoming hearing for violating his parole for molesting two boys in Minnesota, Duncan went to Walmart. Bought some night vision goggles, got some video camcorders, and he got a hold of a shotgun, got some other stuff at a, at a Best Buy, rented a red 2005 Jeep Grand Cherokee, which he never intended to return, drove it into Missouri, 
stole a set of license plates off another vehicle, swapped them out, kept driving, eventually made it to Interstate 90, drove west to either South Dakota or Wyoming, and then headed to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. He stopped at the Wolf Lodge area approximately eight miles west of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Two little kids in bathing suits caught his attention. Then he stalked their family for a few days, and then he unleashed hell on fucking earth upon them. Tough suck to get through in moments. So dark, so sad, but also morbidly fascinating. That's not until next week, though. This week, we still got a little bit suck left uh, to get through. We still got Time Sucker updates, and they are fantastic. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. Well, let's start with the good laugh about misophonia regarding last week's bizarre mental health disorder suck. So many good messages coming in regarding that episode. Super Sucker Amanda Hayes writes, Hi, Dan. I'm sure you've re- received a ton of emails on misophonia. I, I did, actually. Uh, As I'm listening to this week's episode, I just had to share my reaction. Not only does my husband chew with his mouth open, which makes me want to rip my hair out, he also sleep chews. He smacks his lips while he's sleeping. And if I'm trying to fall asleep while this is happening, I have to leave the room because otherwise I think I will try to smother him with a pillow. It grates on my nerves to no end. Anyway, love time suck and scared to death. Keep on sucking. Well, thank you, Amanda. I'm so sorry you are married to an obvious monster demon. Sleep chewing? Ugh. Hope Lindsay never starts this. Sleep chew. I'll have to get earplugs uh, or go to prison for murder. I understand your pain. Uh, next up, kick-ass meat sack, Mandy Ashley. Got fired up listening to the Casey Anthony suck. She sent in a message reminding us how terrible jurors can be when assessing guilt or innocence. Mandy writes, the Casey Anthony podcast. I just listened to it. I put it off for a while. At the end, you talked about being on a jury and how some of the people on the jury did not want to find him guilty. I lived in Louisiana for over 35 years and I was picked for a jury for child rape. Yeah, sick. Apparently there was a child pornography ring going on in the town next to mine. The man's defense attorney could only defend him by saying he was old. That's how guilty he was. A woman on the jury did not want to convict him because of that statement. He was old. I lost my shit on this woman. As a mother of two little girls, now older, How could she want to send this man back into the world to do that to other little girls? Needless to say, she voted him guilty with the rest of us. I had to share the story as I don't usually speak about this. Love your podcast. Keep up the great work. Uh, Wow, that is scary. And uh, and good on you, Mandy, for going off on her. She deserved it. What is fucking wrong with some people? You know what? You don't don't go to prison because you're old. Old dirtbags need to pay for what they did just like everybody else. You don't age out of guilt. You don't age out of being a perv. Right? Way to stay strong on that jury. You, you might have saved other kids from that old perv doing something to them uh, even worse than just looking at, well, I shouldn't say just, than looking at some photos. Because that is obviously just uh, alone very fucked up. And, you know, the more people who look at those photos, then the more people who, you know, do shit to kids to get those photos to feed that uh, demand. Uh, top shelf time sucker, Audrey Morales, also enjoyed the bizarre mental disorder suck, except for the end of it. Audrey writes, Dear Master Sucker and Time Suck crew, I just wanted to thank you all for your hard work and bringing attention to the mental health epidemic in our country. I'm a home health hospice nurse. Gives me plenty of time to fill my ear holes with all this awesome info. But mental health awareness is a passion of mine. I've lost three friends to suicide and one to a suicide by by overdose. Man, so sorry. I recently talked to a couple of groups of middle schoolers about mental health and ways to be mentally healthy. One of the things that I suggested was to journal about one positive thing that has happened in the past 24 hours as it helps your brain recreate the experience and the happy chemicals. Credit author Sean Aker. There was uh, at least one kid in three out of my four groups that asked, what if nothing good has happened in the past 24 hours? 
it blew my mind and simultaneously broke my heart that they couldn't think of even one good thing. After the second group, I ended up saying, I think it was Mr. Rogers who said, if you can't find a good person, be a good person. Do something nice for someone, then write about it. My point is that it is a crazy world we live in, but you all are making a difference. I appreciate that so much. On a different note, who in the actual fuck thought that the chewing bit at the end was a good idea? I am convinced if I go to hell, it will be someone playing chewing sounds on repeat at full volume, just loud enough to make me think I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Sincerely, Audrey. Thank you, Audrey. Uh, yes, I'm glad we have a platform to bring more conversation uh, you know, to issues like mental health. Good on you for actually working in the trenches. You're doing important shit, truly. And Joe Paisley d- made that decision. Joe Paisley, no one else, decided to add chewing sounds to the episode's end. Probably some kind of fucking CIA mind control shit he's working on. Joe chooses the endings. And sometimes, sometimes he's a naughty, naughty boy. Uh, but yes, keep fighting the good fight. Terrific time, sucker. Topher La Ferrere. Ah, I'm sorry, Topher. I'm just gonna go with Topher. La ugh, F. E-R-R-I-E-R-E. La Ferreri. I don't know. Got a long-awaited answer out of last week's Bizarre Mental Disorder Suck. Hail Nimrat. Topher wrote, regarding the Bizarre Mental Disorder Suck, I stopped mid-suck to write this. When I was young, I had these episodes where my hands would feel 10 times bigger than they are. If I touched anything, I would have a panic attack. No matter what I touched, my hands would feel larger than the object. A fork or a house. It didn't matter. It was as if something was misfiring or, well, I don't know. I went to several different types of doctors, had sleep studies done, no resolution, nothing, no answer or even a suggestion as to what it could be, what it was about. The only other time I heard anyone say anything remotely similar to what I was experiencing was Roger Waters and Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb with the lyric, my hands felt just like two balloons. I still have these episodes at 31, but I have learned through experience how to shut them down for the most part. I'm able to focus my attention elsewhere now, and that keeps these episodes almost instantaneous and well-controlled, or instantaneously well-controlled, like a sneeze in my brain almost. In this week's Time Suck about bizarre mental disorders, I learned about Alice in Wonderland syndrome, or Todd syndrome, where a person can experience feeling larger or smaller than they really are. I have an answer after all these years and feel like I could scream, I am so happy. Thank you, wonderful suckers and fellow spacers, and most of all, damn motherfucking bringing this, wait, Dan, motherfucking bringing this meat sack some closure. Uh, Cummins for uh, researching this topic. I fucking love Time Suck. I can hardly wait to finish the episode. Thank you kindly, Topher. That makes me so happy, Topher. Uh, I love that you got some closure. Love that it uh, brought you some some joy. And uh, now you can do further research if you choose. The not knowing must have been terrible. Hail Nimrod. You know, Nimrod led us to that disorder. He must have, he must have done it for you. He must have been thinking about you. Uh, quick shout out to a super sucker in pain now. John Thompson has let me know that a cult member has just experienced just about the worst thing you can experience, uh, the loss of a child. John writes, a fellow time sucker lost his daughter recently, and I'm just writing you to send him some good vibes. His name is Brandon Spencer, and I just like everyone in this big cult of ours to keep him in your thoughts. Sometimes life can throw us a horrible curveball, but if we all stick together, maybe we can make things a bit easier. So I'm sending all my kind thoughts to Brandon, and I hope this helps. And to anyone who's struggling in their lives, I wish you all the best. John Thompson. Thanks, Dan. Keep on sucking. Uh, thank you, John, for being a good friend. And so sorry uh, for you, Brandon. I, I don't have the words if you're listening. Just thinking uh, of you, uh, feeling for you, man. I, I hope you're given the space and love you need by those around you. I hope the cult, the curious can, can give you some of that as well. Uh, so sorry for such a tragic loss. And uh, now going to end on some mental health insight coming to us from grad student, and badass meat sack, Aaron. 
Leaving her last name out of this. Aaron writes, Dear Dan, I have refrained from referring to you by your many pandering nicknames so as not to feed into your blatant narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> but really, longtime listener, first time writer, just finished the episode on bizarre mental disorders. I thought I did a great job. Just wanted to share my own experiences interacting with people with mental health issues. As part of my graduate program, I completed a 12-week internship at a local inpatient mental health hospital. And holy cow, was it interesting. One of the first patients I interacted with was a man with paranoid schizophrenia who was suffering from nihilistic delusions, aka Cotard's syndrome. This man honestly and truly believed he was dead and in hell, refused to eat, drink, sleep, or even sit down. One of my intern responsibilities was running treatment groups and rounding up the patients to attend them. Literally my first or second day, I knocked to enter this patient's room and find this wide-eyed, very disheveled, and malodorous a.k.a. smelled to high heavens man with blood seeping from his mouth, Jesus Christ, from being dehydrated and absently chewing on his lips, tongue, actively trying to rip open the veins on his arm to prove he was dead and that there was no blood in his body. It was honestly terrifying. Not what I was expecting to find in a relatively small mental health unit. This man ended up standing for over 72 hours, had to be court ordered to be forcibly given IV fluids and tranquilizers so he would sleep and not kill himself with dehydration. What I found amazing was seeing how treatment affected him. He ended up getting electroconvulsive therapy when traditional meds weren't helping, which I got to witness. And holy shit, was I both nervous and excited to see that. It was nothing like the movies make it out to be. The patient was under anesthesia and given a muscle paralytic to keep from convulsing. So literally the only thing that happened was his left arm twitched slightly. Apparently even this was a rare occurrence. The psychiatrist informed me, you, are, you got to see an exciting one. The whole procedure took less than 10 minutes and most of it was prep time. The psychiatrist explained that they don't really understand the mechanism of how electroshock therapy works, but equated it to pressing control, alt, delete on a computer. Oh my God, basically doing a, a hard reset on your brain. Uh, what was truly amazing was to see how ECT turned this man with literally no quality of life, who was so delusional, he had to actively be stopped from starving, dehydrating himself to death into a functioning human being. Within a few treatments, he was showering, eating, interacting with his peers. He presented like an adult with a mild cognitive disorder instead of a crazed maniac. I could go on and on about all the cool shit I got to see. Manic people who made Charlie Sheen's breakdown look like a cakewalk. People with really sad family backgrounds that basically set them up for failure. And unfortunately, some really, really creepy pedophile sexual deviants, including one who thought it would be funny to come up behind me in an empty room and grab my sides to surprise me. Spoiler alert, it was not funny. Just thought I'd share my experience in case you found it interesting. Yes. Thanks for reading if you happen to make it this far. And if for some reason you decide to share, please leave my last name out just for uh, HIPAA, <laughs> for safety's sake. Um, thanks for all you do. You and the Time Suck staff, love listening to your show. I love that even if I don't always agree with what you're saying, your open-mindedness and genuine curiosity always make Time Suck a great listen. Keep on sucking. Uh, well, thank you. And that is so cool that you got to witness such effective treatment, Aaron. I mean, so cool to, to to hear about that, about about someone getting better, getting, you know, able to freely live their life again and not be a prisoner to such a severe mental illness. And that is cool to know that electroshock therapy still has, you know, uh, works very well. I actually met somebody at a show a couple of years ago too. Um, yeah, just awesome young lady who talked about, I, I believe I'm rem remembering right, hers was severe depression. Same thing, nothing else worked. She had electroshock therapy and it like reset her brain and it, and it like cured her. Like she got to have her life back. Uh, sorry, got side squeezed by a pedo. That does not sound fun at all. Uh, glad you like the show. Glad you're glad you're gonna you know graduate with a degree or maybe already have that's gonna allow you to help make the world a better place. 
Hail fucking Nimrod. And that is all for this week's Time Sucker Updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, Joseph Dirtbag Duncan next week. Yeep. And also the 100th episode of The Secret Suck on Thursday. Um, don't try and train any cats to spy this week or turn them into bombs. Uh, they don't like it, and it doesn't work. And keep on sucking. I mean, I mean, you can't, you can't trust it. I mean, it could, it could be Anderson Cooper. I mean, they got the fucking the ice worms and the, you know, the fucking. They're trying to read our thoughts, and I mean, they have the Facebook analytics that always fucking, you know, they get in there and they start fucking boring in there, and then that, you know, leads to all the other algorithms, and then, you know, I mean, Area 51, I don't, I don't know what the grades are supposed to be doing all the time. <laughs> you start to try and tell everything apart. Hail Nimrod. Hail, hail Nimrod. Hail, hail, hail Nimrod. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.